the basement where nerdiness thrives and grown men rant about toys. <laughs> Just bones. Hopefully they are able to take a bathroom break, but that's unlikely. Um, but we're back. When we're fresher than ever. We're fresh from the basement, rebooted, if you will. Um, we've entered the digital age. And uh, to get things off on a proper note, I just want to say, mother, mother, fuck, mother, mother, fuck, fuck, mother, fuck, mother, fuck, noise, noise, noise. We're talking Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Yeah, so we're picking up where we left off. It's been almost two years. We were like knee deep in the beginning of the pandemic, and then we I think we did Dogma, and then just shit after shit after shit after shit just kept happening, and lives got busy. And then last year, I worked so much, uh, especially from like the summer till all about mid October that. There was no time to do anything, uh, YouTube-wise, pretty much. It was just trying to find the time to get together, because it's like we've been contacting each other back and forth with different ideas, you know. We always want to, you know, finish the Kevin Smith retrospective and go on to other retrospectives and do other podcasts. But also, I was with, like, you were working like crazy, and I was wrapping up college where I was working on my senior project, I was working on my friend's senior project, um, and, like... Many podcasts ago, I mentioned I was in that film, Taquitos. That's on Trauma Now now, so that's my face is uh, floating somewhere in Traumaville right now. Right on. So that's pretty cool. This, this fucking, that's been going places, and it has a home. Uh, I've been helping my girlfriend Paige out with her senior project currently, which I'm really excited for once we get that all wrapped up. Um, again, I just want to keep going with these ideas because... Again, for like months on end now, it's been two years, we kind of have a bunch of ideas on the back burner that it's just been a matter of time when we get to it, you know what I mean? Yeah. We can talk about other retrospectives. Uh, I want to hop on speaker brains and talk some Moingo Boingo. I think that's that's been a long time coming because, you know, his solo album, Danny Elfman's, is now well established. It's been out, you know for a while now, so it's like, there's no excuse now. Like I That album is so fucking good, man. Bro. But I yeah. that fucking album. I still gotta get the rest of the Oingo Boingo. Collection. Yeah, I gotta get the rest of them. Um, we figured it would be appropriate, though, to pick up where we left off, though, because we were, like, deep in this universe, and, you know, from here on out, maybe we move on, but, like, we... It wouldn't feel right not to at least wrap up the original run of the universe. Yeah. Um, just because it would just be such an odd, like, just ending on to 
excuse me, and Neon Dogma would be just such an odd one out. You know, I mean, it's a great movie, but like this quite literally closes the book on this universe until Clerks 2, like many years later. Yeah, this was originally supposed to be the last one. It really is like an endgame of sorts before endgame because you have kind of everybody, mostly everybody return. Like most of the memorable characters from all these universe movies mm. have some appearance in some way, even if it's like just a quick, like sideline moment. Like you even get like Willem Black from Clerks in the background saying it. Like everybody gets a little moment. So it is a movie built on love. But also, like, probably the biggest budget Kevin Smith has had yet. I yeah. Think probably, I, mean, I think it's most definitely, like, the biggest budget. Um, and it plays into a big Hollywood theme with the movie, that they're going to Hollywood, everything's shot really sleek. They kind of poke fun at all the different Hollywood cliches from different blockbuster movies at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something that we were talking about um, on the Facebook group, that it's a lot of people's first Kevin Smith movie, and it's definitely shot in a way where it is really easily accessible to jump into, because it's shot like any other, like, buddy road trip comedy, but I also find that strange because it's built on so many in-references that we're probably going to, like, list off or, like, mention as we go along, uh, because this movie's jam-packed full of just tiny, like, you know for hardcore Kevin Smith fans, you know what I mean? So it is quite impressive that they're able to, you know, make it work on both those levels. Yeah. Depending on how you feel about the game. Personally, yeah. before giving, like, a final, like, before, you know, getting to the end and giving a final rating, like, I do very much really like the movie. I don't know if I would say love, but, like, I, I enjoy it every time I watch it. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, okay. I was fucking around a little bit. Your voice started going back to that fucked up voice again. Oh, no, not the fucked up voice. <laughs> yeah. Just a little closer. It's also a thing about Skype, too, in general. Yeah, we might just have to start fucking with Zoom, dude. I did a, I did a pod, that podcast I did with uh, Nikki Virus for part two of the KMFDM retro. Uh, we did that on Zoom, and I thought it worked a lot better. That's what I was going to ask about, too, and, like, even when we were sitting around, uh, Paige was even like, maybe in the future, like, you guys try out Zoom, that's probably going to work out a lot better, so. Yeah, so next. I'm on, I'm on Zoom page with you. Yeah, next time we'll fuck with Zoom, but, yeah, so, you're definitely right, this movie, uh, is a in many ways, like, it was made to be the big send-off, and, um, it was supposed to end the universe so Kevin can do other shit, and, damn, did he do some other shit, and was it shit after this? Yeah, I still haven't seen Jersey Girl, so I don't really have a full, I own it, but I still just, I've never been in the mood to pop it in. Just because it seems like such a, like, not to be mean, but when I look at the cover, I'm like, this just looks like I'm going to have, like, a nothing time with it. Yeah. And I know, like, put a lot of effort and, like, this was going to be, like, his big career-shifting movie. So I want to give it a try because I do really like Kevin Smith and respect him. So I want to see where he was coming from making this movie. But I've heard nothing but, like, not even, like, bad stuff, just underwhelming. Like, it just seems like it's not much of anything. Yeah, it's one of those things where, um, 
I like him better when he's doing his Askewniverse. Uh, I mean, I liked Red State, and then I loved Tusk, but, uh, yeah, just stick with your Askewniverse shit, man, because these, these are the characters I like to see. This is the shit I like to see go down. Um, but, so, I do this, I do this with every podcast now. I, uh, I ask you guys in all the different Facebook groups, the Speaker Brains, the Fresh from the Basement Speaker, uh, or uh, Fresh from the Basement Facebook group, uh, the Cut to the Chase one, and all that. I ask all you guys, uh, you know, I tell you what we're going to be uh, talking about on the, the upcoming episode, and I ask for your thoughts so I can read them out on the show. And. So here's what uh, you guys said. <clears throat> Samuel Wett says, Love it. I like it better than the sequel, which I thought was okay, but definitely disappointing. Um, David Anderson, I'm huh? From, I do see where he's coming from. Um, I see where he's coming from, but I, I disagree. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, but so our buddy David Anderson, uh, he says, I love this movie. This was like many, my first Kevin Smith movie, and I was hooked from here on out. It was one of those perfect comedies where no matter how many times you watch it, you're still laughing. Many of the jokes still hit today. We will never forget the click commander. <laughs> that's true. That's a fact. Yeah. a lot of great portable moments in this. Like I said, that's kind of what got me on this discussion, you know, I responded to him then and there that it is a lot of people's first entry point. So I think it does have a lot of nostalgia points for people as well for being like their first introduction to the Jane Silent Bob characters that for a lot of people this is like the number one iteration. Yeah. It's because it's kind of like with me with uh, the animated series, that was my first introduction to a lot of the Kevin Smith universe, so, you know, there's a part of me that has a softer side for, like, that interpretation of characters, despite it being a nerfed version of the characters, I definitely see where he's coming from, where this stuff does make an impact on you, and it kind of sets the stage for where else you go in the Askew universe. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. This is, <clears throat> it was def definitely, probably his, at the time, his most accessible movie. Um, very, uh, well, I'll get into all that in a minute, but our buddy Heath Williamson says they are better as background characters, and I agree with that to an extent, uh, in the movies where they're meant to be background characters, it works, but at the same time, what I think is special is the fact that, take a motherfucker like Polly Shore and the Weasel character, uh... That is where he works as the sidekick, or not necessarily a background character, but a sidekick, a buddy. When you got Encino Man, he's not the focus, he's the goofy stoner friend. On Son-in-Law, it works as him being the main star, because it's a fish-out-of-water thing, and, you know, West Coast meets the farm, so it works, I get it. But then you get a shit like In the Army Now and Jury Duty, and it's like he's just coming off as a complete fucking asshole and a complete fucking jerk. Uh, 
Yeah, it could definitely go one of many ways. But something I do want to address is that I think it is a common criticism that a lot of people are like, they're better as like the R2D2, C3, or the side characters. Yeah. Um, and like I said, like you said, to an extent I agree with that, but I think it is impressive how much they do do well in this movie as the leading people because Kevin Smith and Jay Hughes themselves will be the first to make fun of their own acting and how Jay yeah. really isn't an actor, but it's like, I think he carries the movie fairly well and gets a lot of good line deliveries out, so I think they're even harsh on themselves most of the time because I think they do a really solid job, especially um, Kevin Smith's facial acting. Mm-hmm. And also when it comes to, you know, Jay Hughes' line deliveries, it's like we're not expecting it to be 100% like perfect, goofy, stoner comedy, you know, I mean, part of the charm of Jay Hughes is how himself he is, yeah. and how, like, not an actor he is, yeah. you know, I mean, like, a lot of those screams that he lets down in the movie when he's being tossed out of cars, like, whoa, yeah, Captain really knows how to play into his friend's mannerisms to the film's benefit, yeah, so, and to I me, I agree with you, but I am going to have to probably... I, I probably have to agree to disagree that they should have stayed side characters because when it works, it works. It just shouldn't be done often. I think the one Jay and Silent Bob movie was like they're just desserts, and we didn't really need a, a Jay and Silent Bob movie after that. But that's just me. Yeah, and like, and so what I was saying is, yeah, they work great as background characters, but they also work great as as the main focus in this type of setting. Like, when we were talking about Mallrats a couple years ago, you know, you they shared screen time with probably the most incredibly boring lead, most boring lead I've ever seen in the Isk universe. Uh, what is it, T.S.? Um, and every time I'm watching that movie, I'm like, let's just go back to T.S., or, or let's hear what Brody has to say. Uh, or let, no, let's go back to Jay and Bob, or let's hear what Brody has to say. T.S. and that girl can get the fuck out. And it it kind of just it, it it it's it's a half cartoon. Like I said, you know, Mallrats is a straight up cartoon, and this one takes that cartoon and really just straight up Looney Tunes the fuck out of it. And like I've like I've mentioned before. Because that's something I... Do what? Uh, it's funny that you mention it as being cartoony because that's something I kind of want to get into as we go through it is that it takes a lot of inspiration from stuff that was first introduced in the animated series or something that he expanded on in comics first that he was like, this is finally my chance to give it a more mainstream update. You know, the monkey being one of the main examples. But that yeah. was set up even as far back as Mallrats. Yeah, yeah, crazily enough. And we got two movies in between Mallrats and this before we finally know what Jay and Silent Bob and the monkey are. Or, or should I say, the most dangerous animal known to man. Next we have uh, Jamie Macharge, who says, Holy fuck, that little stoner was right. All that work for a diamond heist ruined by a fart from fast food. This movie is timeless. Uh, Corey Hall says, I love this movie. Uh, when my ex left me, I watched it. I watched all of his movies over the past weeks. This being my first pick, had uh, I had seen it previously on Comedy Central when I was younger. 
But I only saw bits and pieces um, then when I was 15. I revisited it. Uh, but I loved this film because it was my first. And I think that's a lot of people's deal there. Um, also, uh, this is when you say, what the fuck is the internet? Um, and then Jose Miguel... Um, my friend Jose. Yeah, he, he says, as a hardcore gamer, the ending of the movie is funny. Yes. Yeah, so me and him used to watch this shit all the time in high school to the point where me and him went as uh, Jay and Silent Bob for Halloween one of those years. Rad. Um, and it was one of those things where it's like we didn't really have a budget to do like movie accurate Jay and Silent Bob get up. So I just threw on a, like, I, I, I bought the two wigs, um, I found some hats, and I just threw on some hoodies, and off we went. Uh, we were hetero life mates for a night, um, and we stopped by all the convenience stores and pestered some people. But that is a great memory. When he commented, that put a huge fucking smile on my face. Uh, right so thank on. you, Jose, and hopefully you hear this, because uh, we got to get together soon, man. Right on. Great. Uh, and then Ryan Zalewski uh, says, probably the second Kevin Smith movie I ever saw. I don't know about, I didn't know about his Askewniverse um, the first time I saw it, so I didn't understand all of the references in the movie, other than recognizing the Clerk guys. <clears throat> first Smith movie I ever saw was Clerks 2, uncut on Comedy Central, one late night when I was a teenager. I think this movie overall still holds up, though, and is a classic. I don't hate the sequel, either. Uh, Morse Day and the motherfucking time. And that was your comments, people. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to join... You know, huh? I'm, really I, I'm telling them, keep them coming, man, because I really enjoy hearing what you guys think. You know, I want it to be as interactive as can be, because um, you guys are very much as part of the show as, as we are. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why I started doing this. Um, seriously, because uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people we know that have watched the show, if they watch it, like a friend of ours, Jill, she says she feels like she's there with us and she wants to join the conversation. So this is a way to sort of get everyone to sort of join the conversation, not necessarily in real time, but it gives them something to say and. And then maybe if, if they can, uh, you know, tune in and, and hear themselves, maybe they get a little smile on their face. And I've started doing it better. I've gotten to where I'm doing it more in advance because when I first started doing this, I would do it the day of, and then comments would come after we filmed. And I'm like, damn, this guy's not going to hear his uh, comment read on the show. It just made my day, man. Like, I haven't heard from Jose in so long that, like, I'm grinning ear to ear right now. So thank you so much that you're listening. And, again, I know it's hard to talk when you guys are skeletons just chained to the basement walls. But, you know, you yeah. guys can still use your fingers. No tongues, no uh, no wind. Um, but <laughs> no if, if you guys want to join the fun... Uh, Go on Facebook, look at the Speaker Brains group on Facebook. The only rule is don't be a dick. And look for the Fresh from the Basement uh, Facebook group. Uh, I would say don't be a dick on there as well. 
Um, and another uh, group that we frequent is the Cut to the Chase podcast Facebook group. That, that's where I also post uh, these questions. Uh, that's the, the, the Lacey Lou and Dan Chase, uh, their podcast. We're all buddies from the old horophilia.com days. Uh, but yeah, so uh, join those Facebook groups um, and just post memes. Talk about movies and music, whatever, you know. Like I said, yeah, I, I've been posting uh, the Film Friday reviews on there, but like whenever, I know back two years ago when we were doing the beginning of this retrospective, like John Short would post what, you know, his review of Mallrats and stuff like that. So, you know, the group is completely open for whatever you guys want to talk about. You know, I'll be there responding. You know, Travis will be there. You know, it's not just you know, us posting our reviews. It's like, I'm down to hear what you guys have to say. You know, we're all basement dwellers here, so. Yeah, hell yeah. And so that... keep this going next time. So that was your comments. <laughs> um, but, so, what I like about this universe, I've said it before, is the fact that you can have a cartoon like that, like Silent, Jane Silent Bob and Half of Mall Rats, and then you can have something serious and grounded in reality like Clerks or uh, Chasing Amy and you can have incredibly wild supernatural shit going on like Dogma um, in the same world and nobody bats an eye it's just how that world is it takes a certain type of like clever writing to be able to craft a world like that and not make it be too goofy while still being self-aware of it. Yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. I do like to give Kevin Smith a lot more credit than he is given, you know, credit for. Because they even talk about it in the movie that, like, he just is known as, like, the dick and fart jokes guy, the stoner humor and stuff like that. But as we've mentioned in this retrospective before, you know, it's very much not the case that there is a little bit more thought put into these gags. Or of course, there's times to be immature and stuff like that. Of course, this being a movie built more towards Jay's personality, but I do think it's still above and beyond, say, like a movie like A Road Trip or like a Stealing Harvard or something like that. I don't know why I jumped into Tom Green movies, but you get what I'm saying? Like, movies of that era, you know what I mean? He's yeah. Really good at something that's in line with that, but a little bit beyond, something a little bit more memorable. Yeah, because if you look at, if you look at, definitely, you're, you're, you're hitting on something heavy there. Because when you look at Clerks, yeah, indie all the way, but there's a there's a there's an alt rock vibe to it, like there's a, a shuffle awareness too. Yeah, there's like a grunge rock vibe to the style of Clerks. It's that Generation X shit. Then when you get to Mallrats, it's like, did you ever see uh, um, uh, Empire Records? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It is, it is, I love the shit out of it, but it is not great. It is trying so hard to be Clerks or a Kevin Smith movie in a record store, and it just, it, I don't know, man, it's just not great, but, uh, Mallrats has that same fucking vibe, like, almost like, uh, it's, it's, hell, it's like what fucking Kevin was saying when, uh, he was where the puck was gonna be, you know, but now he, at, at, at a certain point in his career, he felt like he's where the puck was, and so that's weird, man, because you get something like Mallrats, and then there's the copycats, 
And then you get something like Clerks, and then there's the copycats. Uh, Chase and Amy, and then there's the copycats. And uh, around this time, like you're saying with, uh, with uh, Jason and Bob Strike Back, feeling very much in place with the 2000 to like 2002, uh, just gross out, stoner, fucking, uh, yeah, American Pie, Loser, um, 48 Days, um, God, what, Wildcats, especially toward the end of this phase, uh, where the music was just, the, the music of the movies, it was, all the time, it was like pop punk rock. Like, I was going to bring that up because that's on one of my notes is there's where they first enter Hollywood and there's the song like I see you walking down the street I look so fucking good I'm like what is this song? <laughs> yeah because it's like dude if you remember like every movie trailer for all of this this style movie it was like Tom is a complete slacker you know what I mean? Like fucking ways where it's like you either got like the no doubt crowd something like that or you go like the Trey Parker Matt Stone you throw in like the weird primus shit you know like it it only goes like one or two ways in the movie trailers yeah like, comedy. yeah Jim doesn't have any money and fucking starts playing a blink riff or a some <laughs> 41 riff <laughs> I'm in too deep, and I'm trying to keep my head above water, I think I'm going under, like, but that's what, that's the vibe this movie puts, say what? I was convinced you were doing the song, and I'm like, Jim just couldn't get a date, because him, man, I just, it's so hard to find a girl. Yeah, seriously, and then like, record scratch, the music stops, somebody says something, and facial reaction. Yeah. What? <laughs> um, thing too is that like something that you tapped into with this 2000s style of comedy is like when you look back on it, it kind of felt like the comedy was like unsure of where it was going. Like it's kind of like the 90s is on life support and we're going to do some gross out stuff because that tends to be what's selling right now. Yeah. Um, he can't have yeah. sex for 48 days. How will he live? This is how movies like Freddy Got Fingered get under the radar and stuff like that because it's like this was just what was going on at the time. This is like what every comedy was trying to be because they were all trying to compete. Weirdly yeah. enough, not weirdly enough, but it's, you know, obviously they're trying to compete with the Sandlers and the Kevin Jameses. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you can even look at the poster too for Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and it's very much that, that, early 2000s, like, we have a white background, like, I think they're, like, punching through the map of Hollywood or something like that. Yeah, it's and not a very the, interesting poster. You have all the stars, because it's a star-studded cast, so I know, like, for a movie starring Jason Mewes, he's, like, credited, like, dead last. Um, yeah. You know, they really wanted to market that, it's like, we have Shannon Elizabeth, we have Ben Affleck, we have, you know all these big names from this other movie that you know about. And so, fucking, before we go into our deep dive of the, uh, of the, the movie, uh, it, like we've mentioned before, that this is most people's introduction to the Jay Silent Bob movies. Um, 
weirdly enough, I think I might have mentioned this on the Clerks episode. I was nine when my dad rented Clerks, and I was in the living room watching it with him. And then when it got to, you suck 37 dicks, they made me leave the room. Then, a couple years later, my dad rented Dogma, and at this point, I already knew who Jay and Silent Bob were based on the action figures that had just come out. Uh, that first run of action figures. Uh, I got them in my damn studio. Uh, and I thought Dogma was going to be boring when, when I first watched it, but then I saw them pop up. I was like, wait a minute, is these fucking guys with the shit? And then this came out, and I was all for it. The trailers, it was it was heavily promoted. Me and my buddies, we all couldn't wait. And then the fucking Afro Man song, just being so huge at the time as well, um, I can say easily that uh, that's how I saw it. It, 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 was, uh, it was like a half hour of Clerks, all of Dogma, and then this before I finally went to all of them that were out at that point. The Hero's Journey, yeah. It's pretty good. You know, um, for me it was definitely like the, at first, again, I only knew the episodes of the animated series, and at the time I was very young, so it's like I didn't even know necessarily what a clerk was yet. I was just like, it's this show called Clerks, and it's about a guy who works here. You know what I mean? I was still at the age where it's like, I was not fully paying attention yet, but I knew that the, what stood out to me was I like these Jay and Silent Bob characters. They're funny to me when they beat the shit out of people who talk shit about them. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, it started, you know, wanting to pursue film and stuff like that, and people were like, hey, you want to be a writer? You know, you should check out this movie Clerks. You know, this movie Clerks is really known for its, you know, dialogue and stuff like that. And around the time, you know, Kevin Smith was becoming more and more of a familiar figure to me because of, like, more so his his show at the time, Comic Book Men, which, despite not being that great, again, I can almost see it as another interesting introduction point if you don't know his movies yet. So I think I got, like, a good, uh, weirdly enough, a good intro, because it's almost like I was introduced to his personality first. Yeah, and, yeah, there you go. So that's what was pretty interesting, and I remember then when I finally got around, I saw Clerks first, um... And, you know, that kind of kicked my ass into high gear. I'm like, I want to write a script. I want to do something like this. Again, this is why you get so many clones when it first came out. Because so many people, kind of like when Kevin Smith saw Slacker by Richard Linklater, you know, you see these movies that are just defining to you. And you want to just be like, I want to do something like that. Yeah. But weirdly enough, the next movies I watched in this universe were Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Clerks 2. So, like, the bookends to this universe. But that's my, that's my early Kevin Smith timeline. Uh, and then, I, you know, I don't necessarily remember if I did Mallrats after that, or it might have been Chasing Amy, because I remember, and I might have mentioned it on the Chasing Amy podcast, I, I did have a, a, a brief moment where Chasing Amy was like my favorite of this universe. I think because of that tonal shift, I think that was so jarring to me as like a, a young teenager that like I was like, oh, this is the, this is the serious Kevin Smith movie. This is the Jersey Girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as you know, time has gone on. My opinions on it have changed a lot. Mallrats has since been, I think, stapled as like that movie just 
speak so much to me personally. Like, not even because of the setting, but just because of, like, the particular um, writing on Brody and, um, you know, just the way the whole film uh, unravels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the set, so I would say the second one I watched was this one. So still in that entry point level. Yeah, exactly. And for as much as I mentioned that it relies so much on in-references, number one, it gives the movie more rewatchability once you have seen all the other ones. Yes. And number two, if you haven't seen the other ones, it gets you interested in getting them, in seeing them, you know what I mean? Because they reference these things, you're like, wait, I don't get that, but I will, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, before we go any further, let me take a piss. Okay, I'm back from my piss break. Uh, I'm drinking coffee right now because I've been up since uh, 2.40 this morning. Um, so, um, like you were just saying, it makes you want to go back. You don't really understand the references at first. Here's my weird experience with this movie. is When I first saw it, I didn't know those were the Clerks guys. I didn't know who Dante and Randall was. I didn't know who Banky Edwards was. I didn't know any of these characters at all. I only knew uh, basically who Jay and Silent Bob were, and I didn't understand any of the references. And then, so they meet Brody at Brody's secret stash, and I'm like, okay, there's this guy. And me, I didn't know who Jason Lee was at the time either. Uh, I, I, I might have been like 14 when this came out, uh, maybe 15. Well, toward the end of the movie, and Banky shows up, I, it used to confuse the shit out of me. Because I was like, wait a minute, weren't they just talking to this guy at the fucking comic book place? He's yeah, there now? He has a beard now, he has facial hair and a backwards hat, like how much time really passed? That was the same way with me, that I was like, I don't get, but you know, of course now it makes sense, it's funny to look back on, but I was in the same boat as you, I was like, I don't, and he's credited as both these guys in the end. Yeah, and the Ben Affleck stuff, um, at that point in time in my life, I wasn't too familiar with Ben Affleck either, and so I, I didn't know what Phantoms was, you know, I, I just didn't understand a lot of that shit, and then I, after watching all the movies, I watched it again, I, I've, I've probably seen, i tell you the truth, I've probably seen this one more than all of them, uh, and uh, watching it again last night, it might have been a couple of years since I've seen it, watching it again last night after knowing these references, paying a little more attention, and then finding things that I never noticed before, I appreciated the shit out of so much more of this movie. Um, and just damn. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, too, that after you said that you spotted a lot of different stuff this time around, like, it's really interesting, because to me, this is a movie that, like, I felt like I had known, like, the back of my hand to really said, I'm like, I've seen it so many times, I, I know a lot of the jokes, but it put me in that good mindset, because I watched it this very day, and there's so much more within it that I didn't realize that made me kind of chuckle with, like, the background gags, and even more in-references to particularly Clerks, you know, going all the way back to, like, his first outing as a filmmaker. Um, yeah. Particularly, the number 37 pops up a lot in this movie. Like, just even in, like, it, whether it's mentioned in the background, sometimes it's more obvious of a joke than others. 
but like they keep that 37 joke like fully intact throughout the whole movie well damn you know what's funny is I missed all of that <laughs> that's why I was like I wonder if that's what he mentioned by what he noticed um, um, as we go along you know like um, I'm pretty sure at the studio one of them is like it's like studio 37 or something like that or room number 37 I'll be but, damn. Uh, there's one in particular I'm going to mention when we get to it I'll be damn. I do like how the film starts. Like, if you are a Kevin Smith fan, this is familiar territory. It's in front of the quick stop. But if you're not familiar with it, it's still, like, the perfect introduction point because it's like, here is the origins of Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, this is, this is why they fucking just stay here. So I guess let's dive into the movie. Um, it starts off. With I always forget who plays this song, but it's that badass old fucking rock song. Then it goes into I'm like I never fucking remember who goddamn did that song, but it goes. Tip of my tongue, but I'm in the same boat as you. But um, it's also. The, the first guy walking out of the quick stop is played by, um, we've seen him a couple of times in this universe because he's one of Kevin Smith's, like, high school buddies who was going to be, like, Silent Bob in the original parts or something like that, but then they all got recasted. Yeah. So he always likes to throw them in. I know the cop is the, the guy who played Rick there or some clerks as well. So right off the bat in the opening, we kind of have, like, this clerks family reunion. Yeah, so you see, um... Uh is it, uh, I believe it's Silent Bob's mom first, and she's like, just drops him off there, and fucking puts the hat on him, and she's like, this will keep the sun out of your eyes, and she puts it on backwards, like, that's, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not doing anything. Who I think was just perfect, I don't know who this actress is, but like, it, it was spot on, like, she kind of looks like Jay, and of course there's the gag where every other word coming out of her mouth is fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, um, what, what the, who's watching these kids? The fat ones uh, watching the little one? Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about this scene is that uh, little Silent Bob, little baby Bob, is little Harley Quinn Smith. Oh. I, I don't even think... I think she was like one, maybe two years old, maybe not even. I don't know the exact, but that baby's my age now, so. I actually Pretty didn't know age. that. Yeah. I figured that was just some random ass baby. Um, but yeah, so this guy walks out, and he's like, you know, what, are you just going to leave these kids out here? And she's like, fuck you, don't tell me how to raise my fucking kid. And uh, <laughs> I always thought this was weird. How, like, she yells at him and shit, and the only thing this guy can do is, yeah, keep on trucking. And I'm like, yeah, that was a thing people said, but I don't, I don't know, I think the delivery is just so weird. It's so, it's kind of jarring for me whenever I, I hear that it's, bit. It's, it's number one, that the guy is just a buddy of Kevin Smith, so he's probably not, like, a trained fucking, like, actor, number one. And number two, I, like, I always shrugged off and, like, must have been a Jersey thing, I don't know. Yeah, like, I knew that was a phrase, but to me it doesn't sound like it's a phrase that should be a counter to somebody cussing me out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I definitely see what you mean. Uh, 
but it leads to, you know, the... That goddamn... We... We loved this so much. Uh, an old friend of mine, Matt, he printed the lyrics out uh, off of the internet, and we studied the shit. It's so funny now because there's nothing to it, but we studied the shit out of the, every word and uh, learned it uh, all the way and fucking just all the time. All the time we'd be somewhere and we'd be fucking singing that bit. It still gets quoted often in my friend's smoke circles. Like, it just, it's something that stayed such an iconic piece of the Jay and Silent Bob characters. Not that he ever really, like, referenced it again, but for some reason this rap is, like, I think it is because it is so simple and childish that, again, it's not even a rap. It's just smoking weed, smoking weed, doing coke, drinking beers. It's like there's no thought to it whatsoever. <laughs> and the guy doing sport. The guy doing the score to the movie just has to find a way to, like, craft a beat around it. Yeah, that's just, that, that's just, just fantastic. And, well, uh... What fatty smoking blunts? Who smokes the blunts? We smoke the blunts. <laughs> and let me get a nickel bag. Fifteen bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. It's yeah, and... Fucking, so you get, he starts talking about Morris Day in the time, and, uh, I, at this point in my life, I didn't know who the fuck Morris Day was. Uh, until this movie, because uh, I hadn't started, li I didn't start really listening to a lot of Prince until the past couple of years, um, other than, you know, the Prince I would hear on the radio, and, uh... Same, aside from the Prince that was, like, directly, like, referenced to me, and I always knew that, it's like, oh yeah, he had that movie, but if any, like I said about the other Kevin Smith movies, same thing with Purple Rain, it's like, this actually gave me incentive to go watch... Purple Rain, I think I quoted on TV once, like, with my mom, like, mid-high school, and I didn't even know, like, what she was watching, and then she went Purple Rain, I was like, oh, more stay in the motherfucking time, <laughs> you know what I mean, that's what made me want to go right into it, um, and in between Purple Rain and this movie, Morris Day, like, aged, like, fine wine, like, he looks exactly, almost exactly the same as he did in Purple Rain. Yeah. Yeah, they like they look good. Like for for them to be there, they they all look good for their age. Even Prince, man, when like he died young, but the dude still looked like '80s Prince to me. Yeah. Um, and another thing too is there was gonna be a lot more Prince in James and the Pop Strike Back. There's the scene where Justice walks into the uh, the movies and. Kevin Smith wanted, I think, uh, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World or Prettiest Girl in the World. That's owned by Prince. Ah. And for some reason, it, it, I think, you know what I mean? Because he has this whole story where he filmed, like, a documentary for Prince that never went anywhere, and he had a lot of weird interactions with Prince himself. Yeah. But for some reason, he even asked Prince himself, like, hey, could I use this in my movie? And for some reason, he was like, no, nah, not that song. You can't really use any of my songs, but you can use the time. You can use more today. <laughs> so they used bad, uh, was it bad medicine by Bon Jovi instead. And I think their reasoning behind that was like, well, you know, we want to keep it Jersey in some way, I guess. Yeah, true. So at, while this is going on, um, I believe this is when it cuts to uh, Dante and Randall, their big return since uh, since Clerks. Um, 
other than seeing, you know, random Dante cousins here and there. Um, and not even Randall in a gun store in, uh, in Dogma. Yeah. And you get a... As soon as it starts, boom, reference. Uh, are you even supposed to be here today? Don't start with me. Um, <laughs> fucking, you know, flew by my head when I was a kid, uh, but appreciate it. Um, and they're in there, uh, what the fuck are they talking about? Well, Randall's wondering, like, why they aren't getting a restraining order on Jay and Silent Bob, because they're sitting out there dealing to kids, and I'm like, what's it called? They're even basically assaulting kids whenever they talk shit about Morris Day and the time. Yeah. They take that one kid with the Misfits patch and, uh... Slam him in the wall. The other kid looks fucking like, I don't even know how old, um... But, yo, you want to hear something fucked up about that clerk boy? Yeah, so they walk up in there, and they're like, so how was the wedding? About that's something I, I want to bring up a lot, too, is how much humor has shifted in such a short time that it's like, not that it's in any mean spirit, and not that it's like I, I'm like sensitive towards it or anything, but it's like there is an, an overabundance of gay jokes in this movie. There is that, a massive overabundance of, of gay jokes, but you're right, uh, comedy was in a completely different place 20 years ago, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's written from, because, you know, me and Zach, all of our friends, we were, man, that's gay, man, you're so gay, that's stupid, you're gay, you know, we were all like that. And like even early into my childhood, yeah, like it was still very much like that, where again, you wouldn't even really think about it. it yeah. Was just, it was just a word, you know, it was just, hey, that's, yeah, exactly, that's gay. That's I mean, yeah, gay. when I grew up, I was just told not to say the N-word. Yeah. And that was about it. And and then when I get older, I'm like, well, there's other words I probably shouldn't be saying, uh, too. Uh, but... I think the thing is, is like Kevin Smith is so down with um, the gay community um, that not necessarily saying he can get away with it, but he writes it in a sort of more tolerable way. Because it's not like when you hear uh, Eminem yell the F word back in the day, you know, um... This is more lighthearted and, and stupid, and it's always like the dumb characters, the dumb, stupid, uneducated characters saying these things or doing these things. So it's a little more smartly written than just throwing it out there. It's either coming out of a character who's in the wrong or like too stupid to realize what they're doing, or like I said, it's done in a way where it's not mean-spirited. Yeah. Um, and again, it does go, it does tie into Kevin Smith's life, I think that's also what gives him the right to talk about, because, you know, his, his brother's gay, uh, I don't know, like, the gay community has always been kind of on the sidelines of his life, you know what I mean, uh, it was always something that kind of fascinated him, and again, growing up, like, New Jersey Catholic, like, uh, in, like, the 70s and 80s, you know what I mean, it's like, it's gotta be such a different, I don't know, such a different way of living, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Definitely. I find that fascinating. It's like, because there is a lot of humor at the time where it's, again, we're going for that gross out. 
and with Roselle, we're also going for shock. So a lot of comedies at the time just went the blatant gay jokes, you know what I mean? Where it's like, that would be, that would just be the joke, is haha, the guy is gay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, there was always, like, the episode with the gay character that was always written kind of weirdly, because you could tell, like, it was more, like, stereotype first, like, personality second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really fascinating. That's, like, it's like you said, it's not that he's necessar- necessarily able to get away with it, but he's smarter about it. Yeah. Cause... Than most writers be about it. Yeah, because none of the characters come off as homophobic uh, while they're while they're saying this stuff. Because like even like with me and my friends when we were dumbass teenagers saying that very same shit, you know, none of us were homophobic. You know, it was just a word we used for like, man, that's stupid. And like now we know better. You know, we just didn't know any better at the time. So I think he's writing these dumb characters with that in mind. So it makes, just like we've said with Chase and Amy, which is such a progressive movie uh, for its time as far as uh, showing gay characters, uh, and to have a character like Brody saying shit like, man, she just needs a deep digging. It's the dumb fucking idiot character saying all that stupid shit. Um, so he was even doing that shit back in the day. So, I mean, like, I... It's weird that, again, he was getting shit for it back then, where people did think he was more on the opposing front, where it's like, no, his writing is just a lot more observational than anything. And there's a lot of stuff in Chasing Amy that nowadays, uh, you know, hasn't really aged the best or isn't, like, the best representation of it, but it's like, it's the baby steps towards where we are today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, he was one of the first to do that. If we could pause for one second, I'm just gonna go eat real quick. Alright, cool, I'm gonna smoke a cig, man. Alright, so we are back from Frank's food break. Hell yeah, mate. Sounds like a Pink Floyd song title. Frank's Psychedelic Dinner. (laughs) Oh my god, man. That brings me back to when we first did the first, uh, my first appearance on here, the Pink Floyd cast. Yeah. Back when, like, it's always so weird when you go back to, like, some of the first podcasts with somebody you don't know because uh, you don't know how, uh, you're, like, you're cool speaking to each other through, like, Facebook Messenger, but you don't know how the other speaks. Now, did we do our, uh, did we do that podcast before we did the Roger Waters uh, monster review? We did. We did the podcast first, and honestly... You know, it's a really good time capsule because it's like we pretty much, we had been talking on Facebook, but we pretty much like are introduced to each other live on the uh, on the show. You know, we're asking questions about each other. We're getting a feel for each other's lives and stuff like that. So it's a really monument. I haven't gone back. I don't tend to go back and re-listen to old videos just because I listen to a bunch of other podcasts too and also just life goes on. But that's when I tend to go back and listen to clips of the Ghostbusters 2 one had some great bits that I want to uh, cut together some clips of because, you know, there's just some great moments from those past reviews that I would love to bring back up again into the forefront. Um, but, yeah, you go back to that first review and, like, we're, you know, it's to the... <laughs> you're like, bro, how old 
Luther, you man, and I'm just like, uh, still in high school, and now like four years have passed, I'm out of college now, and, um, <laughs> you know, I think we can only get better and better from here, I think, you know, looking back on some of those old podcasts, I tend to, I used to cringe a lot hearing myself just because it was so new to me, where nowadays, you know, I feel so much more comfortable behind the mic, and again, I think because of all the projects I was getting involved with, um, it really gave me that itch to not only get back to this, but it's like I've kind of been MIA from my YouTube channel as well for, for a really long time, just other things took precedence. But now that I don't have to worry about assignments and senior projects and I can just, you know, focus more on, you know, my own personal projects, uh, you know, this is something I really want to, this is why we're rebooted. This is, um, you know, I really want to turn this into a great home, not only just for us, but for like we said before, the fans and for them to comment, you know, their stuff and get a bigger audience uh, going. Because I love what the Basement Dwellers have to offer. You know, I mean, I love hearing the thoughts. Um, I really just love making this, like I said, as interactive as possible. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's Frank and Travis Bob reboot. Yes. <laughs> um, so, when we left off just a moment ago, we were talking about the, uh, the more... Um, the, the gay jokes and stuff, uh, especially heavily at this point in, uh, in cinema. Um, but uh, where are we at in the movie? We're still maybe, what, 10 minutes into the movie at this point, barely? Um, so, uh, like the restraining order put out against them because Randall calls the cops on them. Yeah, so they get pushed up against the wall. Yeah, so this is, man, uh, they, they slam it, I don't smoke weed, but what do you call this? And he's like, oh, well, I just take one of those and uh, put one right up on my brown eye, and bam, no shit stains in my undies. And straight up fucking starts pulling his pants down, and he's like, be sure to spread the cheeks so you can get the stink nugget. <laughs> God damn. Uh, you, like, this movie is pretty good in doing uh, successful fart jokes, I would say. Like we read off the the fan comments before, the that the moment when they're doing the uh, the jewelry heist is like a prime example of a well done uh, fart being the pun. Yeah, I think this I fart joke is a little just too on the nose. Like it's so obvious um, because the you know it's oh his ass is out there. He's already a crass character. Boom, fart, but when we do get to that one uh, during the uh, the laser aerobics scene, uh, uh, that one is perfect because it's already been um, foreshadowed uh, beforehand, and then it's totally unexpected. Exactly, it lets it, like it, it mentions it, it sets it up, and then it just kind of leaves it hanging long enough for you to forget about it, and then it rears its ugly head again. You yeah. know, like, the beginning of the movie, they kind of do one of those Danny DeVito, like, close-up lenses, like, wide-angle lens on Jay's ass, and, like, straight-up farts into the camera. It's a little, you know, it's not really set up, it's more just, like you said, grass. Yeah, it's just there to be there, because, oh, yeah, his ass is hanging out, let's just have him fart. I would like to give this movie, like, more credit by going, like, oh, maybe it's, like, self-aware of, like, the Hollywood comedy formula, which it is, but there are times where it's parodying it, and then there are times where 
it's, it's just playing into the tropes. Yeah, it's like it's sometimes it's parroting it, and then sometimes it just is it. Um, it's just one of those movies. It's it's fine to me. They get it out of the way so quick. Uh, you know, I mean. So after this, what happens after this? Um, so they get the restraining order, and we cut straight to uh, Brody's secret stash. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is a weird. Uh, that is a weird sort of cut because, boom, you think they're getting arrested, but not now they're over here hanging out with Brody. Um, Especially back then, where it's like you could easily get busted back. Like nowadays, like things are a little bit more lenient on pot, but it's like back then, it's like. Hello? Connection lost, people. Are you back? Connection lost, people. We lost Frank. No, what? Okay, you're back now? Yeah, I'm trying to see. I didn't know what... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I was saying, um, back then, yeah, we don't really see them get processed. We don't see them get hit with the restraining order. And also, they're selling pot out front of... And I'm trying to say, like, back then, back before, like, weed laws were more lenient, it's like, that you're, like, depending on how much you have on you, it's like, they would have been pretty fucked. Yeah. And so I guess you can only think that maybe that nickel bag they sold to them kids is probably the last bit of weed they had on them. Had on them, and it's just, well, yeah, because they go, like, what is this? And they have just the wraps is what they see. The, which is what he said was stuck up their ass. So that might have been the last bit of weed they had. Yeah, and like, you can't go to jail for just having papers. Yeah, um, that could be for anything. Like, again, like he said, putting it over his, his brown eye. Yeah. Um, so, going to Brody, this is cool. This is another sort of send-off, a return of a, character, a classic character. Um, and he... I never understood, and I still to this day, I'm like, are you only doing this because it happened in Mallrats when he's like, here's the pulse. Far from the pulse in your ass, would you like a chocolate pretzel? Like, it's such a weird, uh... Joke. Yeah, it's such a weird bit of dialogue that... It's not even an in-reference, it's an out-reference, because he straight up, like, he does that smirk into the camera, the music is like, hey, you remember this, right? And, like, it was a funny line to begin with. I like when he's like, here's the pulse. Yeah. Here's your hand far from the pulse's ass, like, up the ass. I think it could have ended right there, but I think, you know... We needed that. Much of the Asian Universe fans and Kevin Smith himself, you know, they look back on some of those great moments with a lot of reverence and... Again, I think with the mindset that this was going to be the last one, I think that kind of opened Kev, like, Kevin up to like, well, we could throw this in there because like, when's, when are we ever going to do this again? You yeah, exactly. I mean? And it's something I definitely don't have a problem with. I just thought it, I just think the, the sort of just the delivery is weird. It, the, the beginning of this movie is like boom, 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 boom. Like it, it is, it is, it's real breakneck kind of yes. a pace. Um, and it's also bad. Do what? Of course, Jay and Silent Bob's secret session, really, Red Bank. 
yeah. and then we also have references to Mallrats in the background because how Mallrats ended was that he was the host of like the late night talk show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like how they don't leave that question unanswered of like, oh, how do you end up here? They don't tell you straight up, but on the back of the walls you can see like posters from his show, and I think like it's headlines saying like, oh, uh, you know, Brody dropped as host from you know so and so. You know what I mean? So it's giving you that information if you look in the background yeah. without straight up, you know, saying, oh, I can't believe you lost your job on the late night show. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they do the same thing uh, with Jay and Silent Bob in Clerks 2 that uh, we will get into on the next episode. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so they're talking to Brody and talking about the restraining order, and he mentions, you know, what about all this money you should be getting for, uh, for uh, being on, <clears throat> for the Blunt Man and Chronic movie? The likeness rights. Yeah, and... Um, so they're like, what the fuck, you know? We need to get, what is it? We got to get paid. We got to get paid. And this is actually one of my favorite, I don't know why, it always puts a smile on my face. Um, but so Brody's being kind of the voice of reason here. It's like, well, you guys got to venture off and, you know, get part of that proverbial cash. You know what I mean? You got to get what you're owed. And he's like, with that, that we cue the music. The look on Brody's face kills me every time, and they let the scene linger on just long enough to where it's uncomfortable. Yeah, and um, what I like is I got the I got the the, the soundtrack to this on CD, and it's one of those soundtracks that takes like clips from the movies. The very first track uh, on the soundtrack is, and with that, we cue the music. And it cuts into, fuck, fuck, fuck. And so you get the, you get the motherfuck rap. And I don't know, it's just such a perfect beginning of a movie soundtrack for me. Just gets you right into it. Yeah. Like the chills going down your spine. I love when they pull shit like that with the movie lines. Um, I always had the From Dust Till Dawn soundtrack. And yeah. they have moments where it's like the songs used in the movie, and then they have moments where it's just lines. Yeah. Like, oh, George Clooney says this, oh, Tom Savini says that. And one of the ones I always, like, queue up in the playlist, like, even if it's not playing a song from uh, the From Dust Till Song soundtrack, my brother uses it a lot, too, is uh, George Clooney, everybody be cool, you be cool. And it just cuts into, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Yeah, man. But um, what I like about this uh, sequence, you said it is very breakneck, but it's like you're going through the years of Kevin Smith one by one because it starts on the quick stop. Then we see what Brody's up to. Yeah. You're meeting these characters again in chronological order based on when their movies released. You're right. Yeah, and how refreshing it is to hear fucking bam, 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 the Chasing Amy music. Yeah. When you get the Chasing Amy music, I always love that bit. Because it's like... I know I'm using this word, but it's like it's such a morose sound, like a somber sounding song that it's just, it's so perfect for Holden 
at any point in his life. Like, even when he's happy, he's sad. It's like, that's just what he hits all the time. That's yeah. And um, I love it. Yeah. As soon as he opens up the door, look at these morose motherfuckers right here. Looks like somebody shit in your cereal. Bong. It's yeah. so... I love the whole... Well, I should say I love the Holden character because we went into, like, what an asshole he is in the last podcast that we talked about him. But what I do love about him is he's sort of the Brian Griffin of the universe where, like, he's just so lame. But, like, when you hear him say shit like that, it's like he's never the one who should be saying Jay and Silent Bob's lines back to them. Yeah, but and... He's just Yeah, and what I like is the fact that uh, you, the way Ben Affleck plays this moment, you feel like this character has been waiting to use that against them for ages. For ages, and it still doesn't land well. Yeah. I get like David Schwimmer vibes. Yeah, like he is so happy that he finally got to say this to them. Uh... And I kind of like this performance as Holden it, more than his actual movie. And like in terms of a comedic, a more comedic version of Holden, you know? Yeah. Not at all like the dark, fucked up relationship shit is kind of out of his life. Yeah, he's now he's just a... It's still very sad, but... Yeah, he's just a normal guy kind of living in a garage. Just avoiding the internet buzz. Yeah. So this is a this is a very classic scene with uh, them trying to figure out. He's like, "What happened?" He's like, "Oh, I sold the right my my rights to to Banky years ago. Uh, why do I still want to write, you know, dick and fart joke characters and um, fuck it?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." So the movie, you know, based on the internet buzz. And he's like, "What the fuck is the internet?" And, and I like that this is so quaint nowadays, you know what I mean? That of course it is funny to look back on, kind of like back in like 80s stuff where it's like, oh, I'm calling you on a cellular phone. You know, yeah. it's always neat to look back on that and be like, oh, how silly the past times were. But honestly, Ben Affleck's description of the internet is still pretty spot on to this day. Yeah, it is, dude. Yes, it is. People go online to bitch about movies anonymously, and, and share porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and share porn, and it is, and it, it has evolved, but it is still within that realm. Uh, it's last year, but movie poop shoot would still be up to this day. If anything, movie poop shoot would probably be like a sponsored company by this point. Like it yeah. would be like a Rotten Tomatoes or like an IMDb. Uh, yeah, it would be like let's look at the movie poop shoot uh, score. Well, um, I, I, no, I think they were kind of going for, like, an eat it cool news vibe with it. Yeah. very big at the time. Um, but, yeah, dude, it rocks. And we get the we get the line. Again, none of us have seen this movie, but for some reason it sticks out to me all the time <coughs> that um, they make fun of Goodwill Hunting, of course, which Kevin Smith had a, a part in producing and making. Um, but Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. Yeah. Hell yeah, Phantoms like a motherfucker. Yeah, they fucking, and then the high five, and, uh, so yeah, you gotta love the, uh, you know, the meta humor slapped all over this movie. Meta like a motherfucker. Um. Fuck them up their stupid asses. Yeah, and so he's reading all of these comments, and I've heard this before, 
where uh, most of those comments were probably actual real internet comments uh, when people found out that Kevin was making a Jay and Silent Bob movie. Absolutely. And you can definitely, definitely see that being true. Uh, and I love, there are three, well, technically four, now that we talked about Brody kind of, you know, winking at the camera. There's like four fourth wall breaking moments that I love, uh, all of them. And this starts the first one where it's like, well, who the fuck wants to see a movie about Jay and Silent Bob? And then they all look at us. The look on Kevin Smith's face in particular, though, like, knowing that he's the guy making the movie and stuff like that, he gives, like, this giddy little, like, ah, you know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, it's such an odd comparison, but a joke like that always reminds me of that shitty Inspector Gadget movie. Yes! Where they're like, oh, who watches these Saturday morning cartoons anyway? It's yeah, like, and oh, they all look at us. It is, it is exactly like that. They do do that twice in the movie because then they have Marshall Marshall Will and Holly later. Mm -hmm. It's like something of a bad movie. And it's then hard not to say Marshall Will and Holly. Will and Holly. That's, yeah. Uh, but damn, what is the third uh, fourth wall break? Damn it! Now it's it's slipping my mind. There's a couple of fourth wall breaks within it that, like, yeah, it's kind of it's slipping my mind as well. Yeah, we'll probably we'll probably remember when we get to it. Those so, were like the big, like those were the ones where it's like obvious, like they straight up turn. And well, the third one, up. the third one that I was gonna bring up is exactly like these. Somebody references something about this particular movie, and then they look at us. It's like they did that three times. Could it possibly have been on the film set when they did that? Very possibly. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll... We'll probably, like, spark our memory somewhere along the way. Yeah. So, now... The, I love this, too, where, uh... So, oh, yeah, we gotta get to Hollywood and stop this movie from being made. Um, how, what... How long is Friday from here? Well, if today is Tuesday... Eight days. <laughs> and he's like, well, not, not by my math, but... Yeah, I also love just how, like, Holden's not stopping them, but he's kind of playing it two ways, Ben Affleck, where on the one hand, he doesn't care, and on the other hand, he's so baffled by their stupidity. One of my favorite line reads is where he has to, like, sign language. He's like, you don't understand, these are fictional, they're not talking about you, these are fictional characters. Yeah, and I just remembered the third wall break where they stare at us is... The Goodwill Hunting 2 scene where they're talking about, well, you do the safe picture, and then you do the, the art movie. And then you do the payback movie because your friend says you owe him. And they look at us because he's friends with Kevin Smith. That's the Gus Van Sant cameo. Oh, yeah, yeah. What a, what a great, another little great moment. Um, but try not to get ahead of ourselves. Uh, so they, after all of this, the the basic plot is in uh, in full force. They got to get to Hollywood, and so from it becoming a bit of a reunion, it's starting off as as a bit of a reunion with all these characters. And this is another thing I do like about this universe is that all these characters know each other in some form or fashion, 
and they're all friends in some form or fashion, uh, and everyone knows Jay and Silent Bob, uh, so it's just cool that all of these different characters who in their own, I mean, you know, Chase and Amy, Jane and Bob show up for five minutes, and, you know, you feel like they've got some sort of history, but in, in Chase and Amy, it doesn't really look like these characters should be hanging out with each other. Uh, but in Silent Bob and, and Jay, in this movie, uh, it they feel you feel like they've known each other for all for years, and I don't know. It's there's just a way that he writes these characters. They're all in the know. They all know each other. Um, but you were about to say something. very lived in and the dynamics are very realistic and clear that the dialogue is of course stylized and over the top like I would say really the only person who talks like Kevin Smith is Kevin Smith I can't confirm that but you know what I mean like they very much talk in that Kevin Smithy manner but the world they inhabit is very real and very lived in and the way I always saw it you kind of get the character dynamics very well where like to somebody like Brody Jay and Silent Bob probably go way back they probably went to school together. They were probably, like, very close, like, really good friends. But with somebody like Holden, they were probably somebody, like, they were plugs at first. They were probably just somebody they picked up pot from. You know what I mean? Him and Banky. Yeah. And that sparked from there that Jay and Tom and Bob would just kind of maybe became interested in them. You know, Jay's always sparking, con like, weird conversations with the people that he sells from. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was always my closet theory that, like, yeah, they didn't really have a close, close relationship, but it's like it kind of started just like, well, these are the guys who have pot, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Like, the, it, it, it makes you wonder, like, how they all met and and, and started uh, knowing each other. So, the movie... There is, that, um, there is that comic book that Kevin Smith did called uh, Chasing Dogma, where it's kind of in between. Like, it ends, it begins on chasing Amy. Like, they just finished the speech and now they're going to take the bus, you know what I mean? But then the book ends right as they hop into Dogma to save the main character of that movie. Oh. So it's like this prequel in-between thing. And there's actually a lot that they took from that comic and adapted into Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Not getting ahead of ourselves, but it's like that whole chimp prophecy scene is in the comic book. Okay. Um, so, the movie begins like a, like a nice little reunion, get, putting us, introducing new people to this world, while at the same time reintroducing, uh, the world to veterans of the series, and showing you what these characters have been up to all these years. And then, now it becomes, uh, early 2000s stoner road trip comedy. Uh... It does kind of play the hits a little bit when it comes to, like, here are the beats that are in a road trip movie. With that Kevin Smithy flair, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, this is where the dick and fart jokes start to come back a little bit. Um, where literally the first joke we have is they're hit hitching a ride. And we have the late, great George Carlin. Um, you gotta follow the rules of the road. God damn it. Look at the road. Yeah. He <laughs> says, uh... He says, uh, he flips out the little, we'll give head for a ride. He's like, well, what happens when you get in and you don't make with the head? He's like, yeah, well, if, if you don't make with the head, 
They're like, whoa. It's the new millennium. Everyone's doing it nowadays. Yeah, gay, straight, it's all the same thing. The lines, like, it's it's blurred now or something like that. And he goes, well, here's this line, and behind it, we ain't there. Yeah. So I think, you know, any George Carlin appearance puts a big old smile on my face. And that look he gives, number one, there's that dance he does when he finally gets somebody to pull over. He's, like, pulling that, like, see, I told you, I told you. Yeah. Um, remember, you follow the book of the road. It'll get you where you're going. And it's almost like he's diving into a pool. He, like, it looks like he's about to start holding his damn breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excuse me for a moment. And, you know, it's funny, uh, when, when Stas and I were watching this last night, Stas mentioned, uh, he sounds like Danny DeVito. And I was like, Dan, you know, he does have that Danny DeVito fucking old man scratchy voice. Damn sure does. It's also just like, I don't know, I know George Carlin's from New York, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Danny DeVito, they have that accent. Especially on the O's, you're doing it all wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta be pure. I gotta be pure. My favorite is uh, the, it's such an obscure reference, but uh, the, the Hercules video game, Get Your Sword. Yeah, Get Your Sword. Sword. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing is they, they learn about this unwritten book of the road that you have to give head if you're going to go a couple of miles. It's not that big a deal. You should do it. But of course, Cameo number whatever at this point. We've already had so many guest appearances. Uh, Carrie Fisher shows up. Yeah, Carrie Fisher, and she is a nun. And here's a here's a reference. You've got the Buddy Christ on the dashboard. Um, yep. Buddy Christ bobblehead. Uh, and man, talk about a misunderstanding. <laughs> it is like so. Again, we have the setup and the payoff, but it's so like, cleverly written as well, that's like, oh, yes, I, I follow the book. Uh, really? You're down with the book, too? Say, so, well, it's easy to say you live by the book than to actually do it. Do you do it? My favorite is that usually Silent Bob is kind of like the voice of reason in situations like this, but it's like, even he's dumb, but he's like, you should go for it, dude. Like, she's saying it. Oh my god, yeah. And yeah, so... Where she's like, you guys can sit up front with me, and he's like, it's like, I feel the uncomfortability of him climbing over that seat in that packed-ass car. <laughs> yeah, so he starts to uh, go down on her, and the, the car just slams on his brakes. She throws, uh, she throws him out, and his scream, man, his scream is... <laughs> Whoa! Oh. It's kind of like a, a, a revival of, of um, the LaFour scream that he does in uh, Mallrats when he looks around the corner. Yeah. Yeah! Yeah! Oh, and so, yeah, so there's that, but I think the bus scene happens before this where they hop on the bus and then get kicked off because they don't have money. And he says... Back when we were in school, we would fucking get on it. Yeah, we used to ride this thing for free every day to school. Um, so after this, they are hitchhiking, bitching that they still haven't gotten picked up. Then they see 
a, the fucking mystery machine or a dollar store mystery machine because it's like this is Scooby Doo but it's not Scooby Doo. It's like discount Scooby Doo because Shaggy's got like a blue shirt and everyone's slightly not who they say they are just to avoid the copyright. Yeah. But again, it's another one that's set up really well because he says something like. Like, what are we, we're stuck in some fucking cartoon world or something like that, that we can't get a ride? They, he says something about being stuck in some cartoon logic or something like that. Yeah. And then it cuts the mystery machine. Something I wanted to point out as well, because they're sitting there, they're hitching, they're trying to hitch a ride. Um, we're still at a point in movies where the cigarette smoking is still fairly common. Uh, yeah. As it was in like Clerks or like Chasing Amy, but you know Jay and Silent Bob still smoke them six. Yeah, they still cheap it up. Um, and yeah, yeah, th this was this was a this was a time when the truth commercials were in full fucking force. Every fourth commercial that would come on TV was like that crazy dude, that that kid getting the tongue piercing in this disgusting looking dungeon of a fucking tattoo parlor down in some back alley and then the guy's like, join me for a smoke? And he's like, I'm not crazy. Oh, truth. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they're smoking out the asshole. Um, and... They're in the, they're in the restaurant later and they're in yeah. like the counter and they're smoking indoors and I'm like, man, I can't remember the last time I went into like... I must have been fucking God knows how little the last time I was inside a smoky restaurant. Yeah, it's been many years. In fact, here recently, the TGIF Fridays, about five years ago, you were still allowed to smoke in the bar uh, years after um, Phoenix City and Columbus here made it to where you weren't allowed to smoke in restaurants and bars. So we used to go to Fridays, the food was not great, but we used to go to Fridays just because we could fucking smoke in there. And then when... Oh yeah, we're going to smoke indoors. Yeah, then when they stopped the smoking, we quit fucking going. It's funny to think, though, that, like, my, my memory of it is so far back that, like, you can only imagine, like, poor little baby lungs... With all that fucking, all that secondhand smoke. Yeah. Good times, man. Good times. No, there is part of me that does kind of. I know a lot of people find it disgusting nowadays, but I do kind of miss that that old smoky aroma. That lived again. That lived-in aroma. You know what's funny is, um, yeah, you know, everybody that doesn't smoke are like, oh man, I smell the smoke on you, da da da. Well, I'm so used to it that. I never notice it. Well, when I got COVID, when I got COVID last month, damn, I smelled the smoke hard fucking core. Like, it'd be two hours or something since we had been out in the backyard to smoke. I'd walk in the backyard and it would just be like, God damn, is this what the fuck I smell like? Is like it, it lingers, man. It really does. Um, but you know, it does weirdly enough hold a very nostalgic place. You know, growing up, you know, uh, my dad was of course a smoker. You know, 
I, I don't have memory of my mom smoking, but of course she did. Uh, again, it was, again, the common thing back then, and then the shift that I got to witness in my life. This is actually where the title Fresh from the Basement comes from, for anybody wondering. Uh, when we were first chatting about maybe getting the podcast going, I had recently gotten like this, this, Patrick, Bateman, this Patrick Bateman figurine from Amazon or eBay. And when it came in, it just had that lingering smoke smell. You know what I mean? It's something I hadn't, like, it, I hadn't whiffed it in a very long time. So it really stood out to me. And that's what a term I smelled it. I was like, ah, fresh from the basement. So yeah. There's the story. It's like, that's, so that's what I get. I get a sense of nostalgia from it. I'm not immediately like, oh, put that shit out. I'm like, you do whatever you want, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you're right. Uh, there is a lot of smoking in this movie. Um, and so they're in the mystery machine, and the, the Scooby gang are being jerks to each other, cussing each other out, and she's like, oh, I can't stand the fighting. And he's like, we know what, what can turn those frowns upside down. Doobie snacks. Oh, doobie snacks. And I love the cut. I love the cut though it just comes from that to magic carpet ride playing and they're just tripping and fucking Shaggy is on the goddamn windshield. <laughs> the outside of the car. And I I have never noticed that before last night. When I saw that I was like, damn, I've never fucking noticed that before. It's something that comes in and out of my memory that, like, every time I watch it, it is always, like, a surprise that, like, I forget that Shaggy's outside the damn car while they're driving. Um, I do love that transition. Like, right when they pull out the Doobie Snacks, you get that cosmic, that dweeeeem, that sound as it starts fucking playing the magic carpet. Um, but another thing I did want to mention is that, of course, like, with every Scooby-Doo parody, it does come with, like, sort of the same tropes that... Fred's the ascot-wearing douchebag, uh, you know... Velma's the lesbian. Shaggy's the space cadet. Like, he's just always out of it. Uh, yeah, they always have to do the Velma likes girls gag. Which, again, at this point, it's, like, not even a gag. At this point, it's just like, all right. And then they start talking about how they are going to fucking cut out their kidneys sell them on the black market, and... <laughs> and let's leave them in a seedy motel. And so you have Jay waking up in a bathtub, and you're like, where the fuck is this movie going? And then, blah, blah. it was a little dream sequence. I do like some of those quick cuts where it's just, insert Jay in this situation you wouldn't expect to see Jay in. Yeah. It does feel very comic booky. Again, going back to that Chasing Dogma comic where it's like, they would do like these, from my recollection, they would do these like one-off, one-panel, like visual gags, something like that. So I do like that, that it's like, even though it's not technically a comic book movie, Kevin Smith always has that comic booky element to how he paces out his gags and his plots. Yeah, because this movie, this movie is about as much about comic books as much about it is with Hollywood in general and um, Hollywood satirizing Hollywood culture and shit 
And uh, it's a very interesting time that this movie was made too, because it was before like the huge burst of superhero movies, where like something like a, a Blunt Man and Chronic movie could still be a blockbuster, but it also you know back then superhero movies were very hit or miss. They even throw like it's the lightest little jab towards Daredevil, but on the Miramax shoot they have like the guy in cheap Daredevil costume. Yeah, and they mentioned that Blunt Man and Chronic. They mentioned basically what what actually happened. X Men was popular, so everyone started buying up as many comic book properties as they could, and Miramax got a hold of Blunt Man and Chronic. So I like that again. For as much as Jay and Simon Bob don't have their finger on the pulse, it's like Kevin Smith. You know, like I said before, we do have to give credit. It's like. He did have his finger closer to the pulse of what was going on, at least in comic book Hollywood, you know, than, you know, I think most people would say. Yeah. I think it's a smart, smart way of going about, like, well, here's something Kevin Smith's been thinking about. You know, here's how he's going to integrate it into the plot to see what you guys think about it, you know? Yeah. But let me go take another piss real quick. Gotcha. <laughs> We left off at the dream sequence, uh, so they wake up, Jay wakes up, um, and it's a funny little moment because he's like, do I have any stitches? And he's, you know, he's like, he thinks it really happened, and, uh, then they notice, huh? He's like, I'm pretty hungry, we gotta get some breakfast. Yeah, yeah, his line there, his line delivery is fucking hilarious. Man, I'm getting hungry, we need to get some breakfast. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. yeah it leads into the obligatory I, I shouldn't call it obligatory but like movies like it's kind of expected that we need movies something in a Kevin Smith movie especially like after Dogma because I don't really remember movies much before Dogma I think it was introduced there unless it was like vaguely referenced in Ch I don't think it was referenced in Chasing Amy so Dogma is like yeah Movie the Golden Cat. <laughs> yeah, and so they reference right there. So they go in there, and um, he sees the little internet thing, and I love that thing. The fucking monitor is in movie's stomach. It's like the most unappealing looking computer. But again, like in the new age of the internet, like you would see goofy. Like there's. The meme I shared on the Fresh from the Facebook group, um, you know, they have, like, Shrek monitors back then and stuff like that. Like, goofy little, hey, customize your computer monitor with this. Yeah. Yeah, like, you would you would have a Ronald McDonald standing there with a computer in his stomach, you know. <laughs> like some fucking Lovecraftian or, like, some horrid eldritch being. Like, he has a digital fucking monitor hanging out of his body. Yeah. Um, but this great moment. Uh, this one, I like. You could pinpoint like some of the most quotable moments in this movie, and this is one that gets, especially if you've seen Kevin Smith live. This is a reference that gets thrown out a, a, out a lot, which is uh, like, "You are the ones who are the ball lickers." Yeah. Another big reference to uh, to the movie Poop Shoots. That gets shouted out a lot because seeing Kevin Smith is a very fun thing because you get a lot of cool stories out of it. Oh, yeah. A lot of cool people. 
But then you also get the drunk guys who just yell the references out, and Kevin Smith just has to kind of ignore while he's going through his act. Yeah. But I've seen Kevin Smith twice. One was just a regular speaking show, and then the other was like a speaking show plus, you know, we're going to watch Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Um, and the first time I saw him, like, there was just some drunk guy in the back of the fucking, in the back of the room the whole night. Snoochie Boochies! Snoochie <laughs> And I, I really, like, I hope I get to see him live again and eventually ask him a question. It's like, I want to know, like, does that shit make him laugh or does it just, like, at this point he's been in the game so long that it must be hard to throw him off from, like, you know, he's such a professional speaker, you know? Yeah. I want to know if that genuinely presents a challenge to him or if he just finds it funny. Because <laughs> I find it kind of annoying. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm trying to hear what the guy's, like, this was, like, right after he had the heart attack, so he was going through that whole story. And this was, like, I think before his Joe Rogan appeared, so it's like, this story was, like, pretty much new to me. I'm like, I'm trying to hear this. Yeah, so I love the, uh, I love his little uh, feeding the trolls, basically. Uh, we are going to make you eat our shit and then shit out our shit and then eat your shit that is made of our shit that we made you eat. He has just no internet comment etiquette at all. It's just, it's exactly what you said, just fueling the fire, whereas, like, nowadays this would turn into, like, an a million comment thread. It's like, this would probably be Jay's entire night nowadays. Yeah, seriously, fucking seriously, just feeding the trolls. Instead of just ignoring it, just feeding the trolls. Um... Which is funny, because that's another thing that this movie was sort of, uh, sort of, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't know about this kind of stuff. And it is rampant today. Um, comment sections and... That it's funny that back then they're like, who would do this all day? It's like, oh, you'd be surprised. Give it 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to be ranting about Star Wars. We're going to be ranting about Marvel. We're going to be... And surprisingly enough, you know, again, Kevin Smith has kind of just taken this stance from the get-go that's like, he just enjoys the media, you know what I mean? He just enjoys what he's given. Um, so I think, you know, this is kind of like the starting of that, where it's like, he's always, he's of course one to take shots at Hollywood, of course, but again, it's something I mentioned before, that this movie is never, I can't call it mean-spirited, it definitely roasts Hollywood a lot, like I said, it gives it a couple of kicks to the groin, but it's not like a a major fuck you Hollywood fest. Like, yeah. There are definitely other independent movies out there that, like, completely demolish just the concept of Hollywood movies. Like, and completely I think what, all over it. I think what really helps this feel more like everyone's in on the gag and it not being mean-spirited big fuck you to Hollywood is the fact that so many Hollywood people are in this movie willing to uh, poke fun at themselves. Uh, especially in the later half. Willing to get the pie in the face, basically. Yeah. It's kind of, that's what brings it, like, away from more of a berating, and it's more of, like, a light ribbing. Like, they're, like, nudging Hollywood in the ribs, like, ah, like, listen, we know you do this. Like, come on, like, you could laugh with us. And yeah. I, I totally agree, especially, obviously, once they get to Hollywood, it gets fucking rampant with not only just, like, the cameos, but, yeah, the references, and, again, just... It's exactly what I said, the light rip. 
Definitely. So this is where we get introduced to Justice. Uh, she walks in and Jay sees her, has a fantasy moment, and is playing a Bon Jovi. Your love is like bad medicine. Bad medicine is what I need. You know what? I am not a fucking fan at all of the hair metal scene. But goddammit, if a lot of that shit isn't catchy as fuck, and I fi don't find myself goddamn singing it a lot. <laughs> you bop your head along to it, where for me, it's definitely not something I want to like admit, because it's like, through your own musical awakening, sometimes you're like, I like this, I don't like that here. But it's like, I have such a nostalgia for that Bon Jovi shit, just through growing up with my mom and stuff like that, that it's like, yeah, you can't help but tap your toe like a little bit to it, even though you're like... Stop enjoying this. Right, like, like I am not a fan of that stuff. Like, I'm not going out of my way to buy any of that shit. But if it's on, I'm like, it was popular for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, it had its moment. It did what it needed to do. And, God damn it, if that shit, if a lot of that shit wasn't catchy. Like, I'll still, to this day, I'll say, out of any of those bands, Twisted Sister, to me, are, like, top tier. Like, they're the ones that I'm like, these guys were in on the joke. They fucking got it. Mm -hmm. um, no, I totally see what you mean. And it also, you know, it's moments like this in these movies where it's like, thank God these songs exist because it makes for a really funny scene. I try to imagine it, and I'm pretty sure it's out there somewhere. Nowadays, with the age of the internet, I'm sure somebody has edited this scene with the print song originally intended for it, but, you know, I think Bad Medicine just came in clutch for this moment. I think it's one of the better... It's kind of a Beavis and Butthead moment, honestly. It yeah. really reminds me of Do America, that he's sitting there with, like, his boner hanging out, like... <laughs> yeah, and especially with it being a hair metal song, with the way she's moving, the slow moving, like, that whole scene is is hair metal music video 101 kind of shit. You know, stereotypical hot girl, you know, slow motion, hair blowing around while... Bon Jovi or White Snake or Motley Crue are you know fucking playing. So to me, it works better than it would have with a with a Prince song. With a Prince pop song, yeah, it's very much like an '80s rock kind of moment, and then it's even amped up to the eighth degree when the rest of the girls step out of the car. Yeah, because they kind of do that again. Weirdly enough, like that's <clears throat> they do they they kind of do the same joke so soon after this one. They do it several times throughout the movie, like the stop, strike a pose, uh, do, and again, there's the one side of me that's like, I think this is Kevin Smith just poking fun of these kind of moments in other movies, Yeah. but on the other hand, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, his wife's one of the main girls, this also could just be him going like, they're doing the Rob Zombie and just like, hey, I, I want to I see this for a little bit. Yeah, I, I want to see you in some uh, real tight leather. Um. And... Uh, Two moments I like about this bad medicine moment is I like how Jay is able like to step out of his own body basically and enter his own like fantasy where he's staring at Justice while also walking towards Justice. Yeah, and making out with her. Yeah, they start making out and then it cuts and he's just like making weird faces to her. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's the other great gag where it's like when Silent Bob puts the cup over his junk. It literally muffles like like his dick was the radio. Yeah. And it's the bad medicine. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, dude, I think it just filled the cup. Yeah, that's kind of 
kind of like more where the whole scene was leading up to like that punchline. Dude, I think I just spilled the cup. Yeah. Oh. No, it is important because this is where we get introduced. Like, what were their names? Their name was like Missy, Chrissy, and or something like that. Yeah, Missy, Chrissy, and um, something else. Another Issy. Um, and then there's just Jussie. Like, she, her, your name doesn't even fit the rhyme scheme. Yeah. So, it's such a weird... I've always been like, this is a weird uh, sort of relationship blossoming. Uh, but at the same time, I can, I can see this being... kind of making fun of shit like this in other movies. Where, in real life, there's no way... A motherfucker like Jay, the way he talks, uh, this this girl is going to be falling for that shit, or being into it, you know. Uh, and you see that in a lot of these stoner comedies like that, where you've got this girl and the guy that uh, should not, they should not be together, but they do it anyway. And it's, it's definitely apparent in, like, the early Adam Sandler comedies at the time, which I think, you know, yeah. those were kind of, like... At the time, those were, like, the big moneymaker movies. It's, like, those were, like, the big comedic stars of the time. And then there's movies like this and all the others that are, like, well, we need to do something like that or our own spin on that. But I think, again, Kevin Smith was very aware, again, of how unrealistic something like that was, that there is that moment before they do the big heist where, you know, Jay calls them a bitch again. The other, like, Chrissy or one of them is, like, about to deck the shit out of them. And it's like, it's a very earnest moment where justice is like, it's not played for a gag or anything. It's just like, well, you know, has it ever occurred to you that women just don't like being called bitches, Jay? Then what am I supposed to call you? Which is, which is definitely true because that, you know, I, that's why I like this. Because you can look at it like it's weird that it doesn't fit. But uh, I think the fact that Jay is, he, the dude's never been around a woman, you know, so he's just talking the way he knows how to talk. And it's not even that, like, it's one half that that's how he knows how to talk just through, like, being raised around that area. But it's also, you know, um, that that arrogance. And it's like that this is who he wants to be. You know what I mean? He wants to be the fucking dog. You know what I mean? So this is how he assumes he should. This is all his life, how you should talk to people. Like, this is how you guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he still doesn't learn, but we get boo-boo kitty fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a little... It, it, it's getting there, I guess, but it's like, I also like in Reboot, if we're going to there, that it's like, they do establish that, like, this never would have worked out. Ever. So, they go outside, they, she, she, uh, she convinces, uh, or they, they convince her to let them hitch a ride, and... Boom. Another slow motion, but I believe this is Run DMC um, playing while the other girls are coming out of the truck and slow motion, posing around and stuff. Uh, and so already you can see, like, they're being assholes to her, and they'll hop on the car or in the van, and God, what is that? What it, William, uh, Sean William Scott. What is his character's name? Oh, fuck. See, I just, I've always just called him Sean William Scott. Yeah, it's just Stifler. Stifler hops in the yeah. damn van, and it is some of the funniest shit to me 
uh, the way he fucking talks. And when they're driving, he's singing this lame ass song. I'm a noble rabbit. He's like stuttering and getting the wrong notes. Yeah, I don't want to die. Don't was it? Hey, Mr. Science Man, don't spray that aerosol in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't want to die. Yeah. It's so fucking pretentious. It's hilarious. And he has these fake braces like falling out of his mouth the whole time. That's like you could tell it's just really Sean William Scott like trying not to have his like prosthetic fall out. Yeah, and when I love it when uh, Jay Jay says, "Let me talk to you over here for a minute," and he's like, "You love animals, right?" So I love animals. <laughs> I also love. Uh, he keeps calling them boy. What is your major malfunction, little boy? Yeah, I love the way he says that. What's your problem, little boy? Little boy? Uh, yeah, I love sheep. So what? you so you fuck one, right? What's your damage, little boy? <laughs> He's like, well, if you were a sheep, would you fuck a sheep? Well, yeah. This guy ain't one of us. He said he'd fuck a sheep. He fucking jumps and he throws him out of the van. Uh, fuck you, you dirty sheep fucker. And nobody does anything about it either, which they mention again, they mention later when they stop that like, hey, well, I wasn't seeing you uh, stopping him from throwing it out. So it's like we all didn't like his stupid songs. Yeah. He was a necessary pawn in their game. Yeah. So they're driving around and they tell just Justice that, uh, and she has to convince them to steal the monkey. And it takes no convincing at all. And he's like, hell yeah, anything for you. <laughs> I was just thinking, he goes, uh, I'm going to get some pussy for stealing the monkey. Yeah, and then, like, uh, he's like, so you like animals, huh? Do you like snakes? Oh, well, if it's not cuddly, I still like the animal. He's like, what about trouser snakes? She's like, ooh, what's a trouser snake? She's playing it so, like, like not naive and unaware. Yeah. Like, any other the situation would know exactly where this is going. Yeah, so uh, Devil pops up on Jay's shoulder. He's like, yeah, man, she fell for it. Go ahead, fucking whip your dick out. And then another Devil pops up. Yeah, this is normally where the angel would come, but we bitch slapped that motherfucker and sent him back in. And, uh... That this is like another moment in other comedies that, you know, classic, it's been done time and time again. But I think that alone right there is what gives it that extra punch. Yeah, and the fact that everyone is watching him and they're aware that this is happening to him, and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, talking to yourself? And I like it when the angel comes back and slaps some fucking sense into him, but the angel is talking as dirty as the devils are and but it's funny as shit because like he's got the goddamn beat marks all over his face uh, and uh but then he's like if you'll excuse me there's some fucking sucker punching devils and i need to go whoop their ass so it shows that his angel is a badass too and i just love that um he shows up late, but the first thing he says is like, Jesus loves the children. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> loves the little children. 
That gets me to fucking crack up every time. He's like, look at Silent Bob, see what he thinks. And yeah, Bob's like, no, don't do this. That's another great showcase of Kevin Smith's uh, facial acting, because whenever I looked at, I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but like, his face always reminded me of like, a slightly rounder Robert Downey Jr.'s. Yeah. He gives like, wide-eyed looks at Jay. He's like, he almost has that going for him. And it's always been one of my favorite moments. Just look over to Jay, look over to Silent Bob and see if he's down with what you're saying. And he's completely in the woods about this whole thing. He's like, bro, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're saying. No. Yeah. So. The way the trousers snake. So do they just they'll pretty much go straight to the animal place after this? Yeah, because he's given the incentive of, of pussy, basically. The ethereal pussy. And, um, yeah, I think it cuts straight to, unless I'm forgetting something, I think it just straight, it cuts straight to the lab from there, where they're getting out of the van and putting their masks on. Yeah, so they get out of the van, and I love this shit. Could you say something into the camera about the clit? Eh, another, another highly quotable moment, fucking, I own the clit. All you I motherfuckers. Commander. <laughs> that shit is so fucking stupid. Oh, I love I was, it. That little laugh he does where he's like, you know, fucking rub my nose on it. Yeah. And, uh. And, and Justice just isn't having any of it because she already knows what they're setting him up for. And he plays right into the bait. Again, thinking that he's the baddest, that this is going to impress Justice. This is the moment I've was talking about before, where it's like, the other girls are sick and tired of the stuff, Silent Bob's just kind of there, like, he steers him off the bad path sometimes, but he's more just, like, side guy, um, and Justice is really Jay's only defense in this whole thing. Yeah, because pretty much. Innocence, which, again, it's a lot of leeway on him. Yeah. So, this is where... Jay and Bob go in the lab while they go to steal the diamonds and um, they suit up and all their gadgets are like these female things like like the, it's 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 uh, birth control pills for the little timer thing um, they have like the little uh, the sensor motion thing which is like the little mirror mm-hmm um, and again, we have another one of those moments, those Hollywood moments where it's like, before we do this, we're going to get out and strike a pose. Yeah, strike a pose and then walk in sequence with each other. Kind of like a Charlie's Angels uh, kind of moment. And we have more of a Mission Impossible moment once they enter the, the diamonds. Yeah, so they get in there and it's these... Uh, just why they uh, they spray the um, I'm guessing it's like deodorant spray or something um, and it shows where all the lasers are and they all every one of them do these crazy fucking acrobatic wire work all over the place yeah and you then know. I love the last one where where she throws the fucking um, little sensor. And they catch it, and then she fucking, she's going sideways on the wall. And Very much uh, Matrix-inspired. Yeah. By the, and, you know, we only had, we 
We only had the first Matrix movie at that time, so everybody was kind of referencing the wireworks and the over-the-top... Um, yeah, but I'm happy that it wasn't the stereotypical Matrix parody that I saw a million times where they did... It was like the crane fly and then pause and then kick in the face that you saw on... Deuce Bigelow is a big... Uh, hell, Deuce Bigelow and Scary Movie both did that. And, like, um, Kung Pao, they did it with the cow and stuff like that. Like yeah, everybody yeah. Doing things that, that particular moment, yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate that this one sort of just did the, the wall run, and but what I like is, already it's ridiculous enough that they're doing these acrobatics through these lasers like that and dodging every single damn laser. Uh, and then for the last one to just be so over the top, going along the wall like that. Uh, stage everybody. Yeah, upstage everybody, but then at the very same time with your landing, they crack, she cracks the fart, and uh, it sets everything off. And uh, I think that, that mirror thing, they were saying it's like, for some reason they have to stay super quiet. Yeah, it's like the sound. It's sound censored, so we have to be very quiet and sneaky. And of course, she completely rips ass. They they chose like the most like disgusting, gross sound effects. Um, and again, it's exactly what was said in our uh, response section. All that hard planning ruined because of a fart. Yeah, and uh, so they're running out of there, all frantic and. Um, so then we cut to, they, they, they put a bomb on the van, and then get out of there. So then we cut to Jay and Bob, uh, I love it when they are running toward the lab, and they're rolling around, and fucking just yeah. moving back and forth and shit, and then we get the, the Silent Bob Batman gadgets, those come back. And we get kind of fixed the because uh, there was always kind of that charming special effect in Mallrats where they grab each other and then they they zoom up they zip up into the air but it cuts like it quick cuts and they're like dummies yeah clearly like yeah you can definitely see the edit it in Mallrats but in this yeah. one they do it a lot smoother yeah they do it way smoother and then I love it when they just bust their ass through the window yes. <laughs> And they're even surprised. They're like, they're in. Yep, they're in. And I'm surprised that didn't set off any alarm or anything like that. Yeah, like, right? You got all these they, fucking exotic-ass animals in this building. Uh, they through the building, and I really like the lighting. I, we, we don't typically talk about lighting, but uh, it stood out to me that there's, like, these cool kind of sci-fi green inns mm-hmm. in this place for some reason where they're testing the monkeys. Um, yeah. Another detail I want to point out, speaking of Easter eggs, because it's very prominent in this moment when they're standing outside the animal place, is that Jay has been wearing a Berserker shirt this whole time. Oh. Um, the first movie. It's the, it's the Russian guy from the first movie pretending to hold the mic, and it says, Berserker. Would you and, like to make him fuck Berserker? And the reason why he's wearing that is just because at the time... Uh, the, the reason why it was at the time, 
that was kind of just the new Kevin Smith merch at the time. We have the new Berserker shirts. Um, but in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how in universe does this work? And maybe that guy went back to Russia and finally fulfilled his dream of being a big hot metal singer. Yeah, but then also at, at the same same time, this does this movie does a Mallrats thing later on. Uh, you remember in Mallrats when they're walking through the dirt mall and T.S. grabs that clerk's hat and tries it on, then takes it off. He's like, nah, fuck that, and he tosses it away. Uh, where you kind of have like, okay, so is this like a little in-joke, or is Clerks in some kind of way like a movie in this universe? But really, it's just a little in-joke. Uh, but they do that again later on, uh, where, and I'll bring it up when we get there. Uh, but yeah, fucking Berserker shirt, and they're walking around, and he finds this uh, tranquilizer gun, and he's like, man, this shit will get you fucked up. Like Percocet. Then we get to the point, um, I'm pretty sure they, they let all the animals free, right? Yeah, because they were just going to take the monkey. They find the monkey, and uh, Son of Bob falls in love with it, and uh, Zane's like, you know, we need to just let all these animals out. And I like that scene, man, where fucking, uh, it's really, it, it, it's, Easily, it's definitely got to be computer animation with these animals running out of there. But the way they're moving, uh, they actually, it, to me, it still looks pretty good, the way they're dodging these animals as they're coming out of the building. Yeah, it's not a bad effect at all, really. Um, and again, it, it's, it's something I would call the trope. All, all the animals are all free and they're going wild. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's done in a way where it's not... Um, apparently, like, noticeably CG, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a little dated, it's still really well done, but the part I was thinking of, this is one of my favorite gags in the whole movie, is so they need to make the quick, daring escape, so they run to the van, and it bursts into flames, they jump back, of course, big Hollywood explosion, and we have this, like, streetcar named Desire moment, yeah. where he kind of fiddles for a second, and then he does the big, uh, Justice. Justice, and I love the the orchestral choir because do you know what they're saying? That's what I was just saying. The justice is dead, or so Jay thinks. Is that what they say? Yeah, yeah. Fucking love the shit out of that. That's crazy. See, now it makes me want... I just watched it today, and now I want to go back and perk my ear up. Yeah. Because I always heard the Justice is Dead part. Yeah, and then after that, you get the... Or so Jay thinks. Fucking hilarious. Oh. <laughs> um, justice! Yeah. So, goddamn... The, uh, yeah, so the police are out there, yeah, and that's when the, uh, the, the explosion happens, so they start running, um, <clears throat> and damn what the hell happens after this, uh, is this where, okay, so it's like the next day, and this is where, goddamn, probably one of the most memorable Will Ferrell roles to me ever, uh, seriously. 
Oh, I know a lot of people love Will Ferrell, and I just never, never was that highly into him. Uh, but I don't know his his character uh, on this movie is fucking hilarious to me. I was gonna say he definitely plays it up more goofy, I think, than he ever did at that time. This was 2001, so this was still, like, he was still just known, really, for SNL at that time. This was a pre-elf Will Ferrell. Yeah. Um, before he became, really, Will fucking Ferrell. Yeah. And to a lot of people, it's exactly what you're saying, that a lot of people are mixed about the Marshall, Will, and Holly character that I think even Kevin Smith, he put it in, of course, such great Star Wars terms, where it's like, depending on how you watch the film... Marshall, Will, and Holly was either the Boba Fett or the Jar Jar Banks. Like, you either loved him or you hated him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his name, right off the bat, is just a pun, and it's kind of foreshadowing for when he would do Land the Lost, but it's just Marshall, Will, and Holly put together um, to make Marshall, Will, and Holly. Which, I don't get that reference. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very timed... <laughs> reference. So what? It, I mean, I get, I get the name is Will and Marshall, Will and Holly, but uh, yeah. what is that a reference to? It's a reference to Land of the Lost, which was, uh, it was a very old TV show, and that's kind of like the opening theme song of Marshall, Will and Holly. Okay. Okay. And then what I found pretty funny is that years later, we then see Will Ferrell starring in the Land of the Lost adaptation. Yeah, see, I never saw the original Land of the Lost. I always saw the uh, the early, early 90s version uh, that Nickelodeon used to play reruns of. That's the uh, Land of the Lost I'm familiar with. So, yeah, I damn sure didn't get that, uh, did not get that reference. Yeah, the reference tends to go over a lot of people's heads. I think it, I didn't realize it until I watched the movie with commentary on, or Kevin Smith might have mentioned it in, like, a behind-the-scenes thing. But it is kind of, like I said, it is kind of neat how Will Ferrell's career kind of goes around. Somebody definitely had to have seen this movie and then kind of made the connection. Um, but before, I think even, if I'm remembering correctly, before Marshall Will and Holly is... Uh, introduced, don't we have them sitting in that little valley, like, Justice died because of you, you little fucking chimp, or something like that. And see, that's what I'm wondering, is that's either right before, or right after, uh... I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it was right after, because just right now, through my recollection of watching it today, I'm pretty sure it jumped straight to the next day, and, um, because that's also when they decide to get <coughs> the monkey um, with them. Because at first he just wants to kill it because he feels like, oh, this thing could be a super monkey. We yeah. get that. Yeah, he says, this thing was tested on labs and fucking, I love the, I love Randall running and being captured by Planet of the Apes and then uh, Dante laying there, I'm not, I wasn't supposed to be here today. And the damn monkey's eating his brain. And, and I love the fact that he says, in our clothes. <laughs> yeah, I love the yeah. fucking, yeah, so yeah, yeah, they're going to build the new the city in their image, so you got a Jay and Silent Bob monkey at, uh, in this Flintstones looking village, and <laughs> fucking, I love the, it's like a conspiracy out of the X-Files, Roswell style, 
and you have motherfucking Smoking Man in that fucking scene from the X-Files right fucking there. I was like, hell fucking no. It was another thing that's like, you noticed it like today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Holy fuck, there he is. But that's another fourth wall break right there. He looks dead into the camera, not Roswell style. Yeah. Uh, I also love the line delivery where he's like, uh, Jay always gets away with the funny, like, odd delivery where he kind of lets, like, the final word linger a little too long where he's like, only people as smart as me will be alive to bitterly cry. Yeah. I just love that they keep the Jersey accent part. Damn you, small to hell. Yeah. Right there, straight planet of the apes. Which, going back to that uh, chasing dogma thing, because like I said, that's where this kind of originated. The monkey they introduced back in, of course, Mallrats, and that never did anything with. And then for years, they were just trying to figure out what to do with this monkey. So they threw it in this comic book. They threw it into that episode of the animated series with the fucking monkey going crazy. Oh, what's wrong with him? Make a team fit. Um, but this is where it finally comes to, like, full fruition. And they pretty much have the scene verbatim in that Chasing Dogma comic, except for one extra frame where they throw in a reference to the Tim Burton... No, actually, I don't think it, the Tim Burton fucking Planet Apes was out yet, but they had that moment where they have the Lincoln Memorial in the ape's head. Uh-huh. That, that, for a small bit of time, uh, you know, Kevin Smith wasn't mad about it, but after watching the remake of Planet of the Apes, he's like, I don't know if Tim Burton realized this, but it's like, I did like the exact same thing in Chasing Dogma. Um, so it kind of created this little media buzz for a little bit where Kevin kind of like, he was joking around with a publicist friend of his that he was like, oh yeah, I'm very, I'm very mad about this. I want everyone to know about this. But then the dude actually ended up printing it. Yeah. And then was completely lost. He's like, where's the tee-hee-hee? Like, I was laughing while I was saying that. There's no tee-hee-hee. And then, um, Tim Burton got fucking pitched. Tim Burton responded, like, the most dead-ass response, like, I don't read comic books, and nor would I read anything by Kevin Smith. Which explains to me Batman. There you go. That's exactly what Kevin Smith says. Like, well, that's why you have Batman fucking yeah. killing motherfuckers and tossing them down. Yeah, because I've uh, seen, I've seen down. him, I've seen him mention this story a handful of times. Just like the giant spider uh, from uh, goddamn Wild Wild West, uh, straight from his uh, that Superman he was working on. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is a really fun little scene, and then I guess we see. Okay, so. Hell. So do we cut to <clears throat> them at the restaurant after this? So I think after that, so we have the big monkey sequence. Then I think we're introduced to Marshall, Will, and Holly. And then I'm pretty sure we cut back to Justice and the gang celebrating their big heist. Yeah, so this is when the pizza man shows up and... The classic porn scenario, like she got a she got a small plane, but I'm looking for a thick Sicilian. Yeah. But this is the in reference that so the 37 gag in some way, shape, or form has been throughout this movie. You know, 
this is the one I remember most because I never noticed it until today. Was they have a big sign up at their little house while they're celebrating and ordering the pizza, and it says, uh, "Congratulations on like a successful 37 pints or something like that." Ah. So this was their 37th uh, outing as these criminals. Who knows when Justice became a part of their gang? I'm assuming it started as like the three in the rhyme scheme, and then she kind of like came in like a tag along or something like that, but. That stood out to me today that they're in canon. There's 37 types. I'll be damned. And then after that, that's now where I'm starting to get a little... Where do we go from there? Because that sequence of events, I think, happened one after the other, where they decide to keep the monkey. Now we need to introduce the threat of the wildlife, um, Marshall. The most dangerous animal known to man. And, uh, so I, I guess they're at the restaurant here, um, talking about getting to Hollywood, and, uh, it's on the news. This is when they find out, they find the videotape, and, uh, James, Silent, and Bob are, are, they think they're terrorists, and, um... They have that deep voice, uh... We are the clit. Here's the here's the announcement from our leader. Yeah. Back down. This is where we have the uh, the John Stewart cameo. Yeah, and this is actually really funny. You got John Stewart as this serious uh, news anchor man, and fucking Will Ferrell gets up there, and they're talking about the clit, and there's just all these innuendos, but their plan is so straight, uh, not knowing how. Uh, how inappropriate it all sounds. It's very immature, but it's like, um, again, Kevin Smith just has that way of going about it, and again, picking these actors who could keep the straight face while doing it. Oh, well, you know, you don't want to rub the clip the, long, the wrong way or anything like that. <laughs> One of the things where it seems like so many other comedies would have failed so hard at something like this, but like somebody like Kevin this kind of juvenile humor kind of brings on, like, a whole new life, I think, in the context he's presenting it in. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think it's because he treats his audience with a lot of respect, where a lot, a lot of movies just want you to kind of go along with the dumb character, like, yeah, he's dumb, but he's likable, and stuff like that. Uh, Kevin Smith never really does that, where it's like, he's always keeping you aware of, like, hey, this is what you shouldn't do. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He has a big respect for his audience that I, I, you know, I greatly admire. Especially, again, in something like this where they, they do make jokes that, oh, this is just a movie of dick and fart jokes and stuff like that. But again, it gives it that little extra to chew on. Yeah. So, they get word that Jane Silent and Bob are at this diner. Um, and... We have the, uh... I don't even know what number cameo we're up to, but we have Judd Nelson as the uh, as the other sheriff guy. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's an ape, and orangutan's part of the great ape family. The uh, fucking. Because he keeps calling it a monkey. Yeah. And so he's like, "Who's the who's the wildlife marshal? Me." And, uh, he gets the damn, uh, 
and he gets the damn megaphone and he's yelling at him on there. And you and your mom can't stand a chance. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite, um, not to mention, going back to the gay jokes, this is one of the few that land for me perfectly. Yeah. And also, love Jay's line delivery, where he's like, you know, I'm not all the way gay, you know, I'm kind of like half, but it's like my, my hetero life figure, he loves the cock. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of the better, uh, sort of gay things, because it's like, uh, they they get out there with the monkey uh, dressed in clothes and um, and he's like oh man this is a PR mo a bad PR moment I don't need I don't need to be on national television uh, you know having everybody think that I'm homophobic so he's saying all this stuff like he even says uh, he says I don't need you know what kind of butt fucking Brady bunch is this and. Uh, so he's he's like just trying so hard not to be homophobic uh, that that is pretty damn hilarious. And in fact, he's trying to avoid being homophobic so much so that he just lets them go. He's like, "You guys have a great day." Ah, uh, you know, it's not my way of life, but I'd be damned if that's not the happiest couple. Fuck. He's just like fuck beans. God damn it. He says fuck beans. That was them. Uh, but. A very good use of your Will Ferrell. I was looking back at Paige today. I'm like, I never, because I always thought he said fuck me. I'm like, he said fuck beans. Yeah, fuck beans. And he says, uh, I like it when he's like, and might I add, that's a fine looking boy you're raising. <laughs> and everybody behind him are just like, this fucking idiot, man. Well, yeah, no, and then we even get later into the movie, like, when he's not around, he's just the punching bag of the entire police force. Yeah, they're straight talking shit about him. They talk about that very moment where he's like, uh, he's like that's a fine-looking boy you're raising. But that's way long after he falls off the well. Yeah, so they're running, and they're shooting at him, and, uh... I do like the bullet effects. I do like the bullet effects that, you know, you see the bullets zipping by him and shit. As they are, yeah, as they're running, then they go ahead and they dive in the, uh, in the little sewer hole, and, yeah, Jack, uh, Bob gets stuck, uh, which, it, really, he shouldn't, uh, cause that hole is mighty big, and when, when you see him get in the hole, you can see that he's still got, uh, a, a good bit of diameter of that hole, that, uh, you know, wasn't Kevin Smith at his heaviest. So yeah. Like, it is a little, but that's the thing. Aside from the gay jokes, like Kevin Smith was always throwing the fat jokes at himself in there, especially when it comes to like Jay and Sulting Bob and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. So, you know, we got to have room for one, because he's always calling him Lunchbox or Tons of Fun or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so now it's like, suck it in, fat ass. Yeah, so he pops out and he's like, just like Weenie the Pooh. And, I um, love that fucking scream that Kevin Smith let that because he's like trying so desperately to like butter his way through it because he's gonna get his ass blown off. Yeah, and so they're walking, and then you get a little fugitive reference here. Um, they're at the edge of the uh, the dam, the little hole in the dam, and fucking goddamn. Will Ferrell's just there talking about, you know, just let, let the monkey go. And the monkey just pulls Jay and Silent Bob over. 
and they're they're hanging there and he's like damn they're good what a daring escape so he jumps off the damn shit and I love the way this looks because they're like hey man as he's fallen and like you see him turn around in the air yeah he turns in the air in like a crappy green screen effect but it's like a Again, like, self-awareness is something I've said a lot through this movie, where it's like, they kind of knew the budget they had, and it was played more for the comedic effect of, look at this effect, as, like, the camera's not even moving, it's just a superimposed Will Ferrell, like, oh, fuck me! Yeah. And, uh, so they're climbing back up. Before we, uh, before we continue that, I also noticed, again, another reference back to Clerks 1, when... Marshall, Will, and Holly has them lined up on their knees. He goes like, see, you see what he's doing, son of Bob? He has, a, he has us lined up like circus seals. And that's kind of a throwback to that first monologue that Jay has um, in the first Clerks, where he's like, yeah, dude, I'll suck anybody off. I'll get on my knees and make like a circus seal. Yeah. Something right. I picked up on today. It's like, it's a throwaway line, but I definitely could see, again... Kevin Smith nudging you like, hey, you know, that's a little callback. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is one of my favorite moments, though, when they're at the top of the dam. Yeah, they get to the top of the dam, and this uh, this little station wagon picks the monkey up while they are uh, distracted. And then they see the monkey leaving, and Jay's bitching and complaining, how are we going to find it now? You stole our monkey! Yeah. Ah! Yeah, so he's like, now what are we supposed to do? Da, da, da. And Son of Bob is just trying so hard to put it in Jay's head. And Jay's like, man, just spit it the fuck out. Man, you can talk about that fucking Amy story all the goddamn time, but you can't say nothing, you know, so damn simple. And then he just finally says, the sign on the back of the van said Critters of Hollywood. You dumb fuck. I love the shit out of that. It's one of my favorite Silent Bob speaking moments. Because he always gets one or two moments to speak. And I just love It's so great that he finally gets a moment to just say what he was thinking. And it's kind of weirdly um, foreshadowed early on, if you really want to think about it. Because Holden mentions at the beginning, it's like, this guy here feels so much pain. He's like, wondering, when, Lord? When am I going to be able to break away from this guy? I've never even kissed a girl. I'm with it. Like, when, yeah. when, when? Like, he finally, he doesn't leave him, but he finally gets a moment just to be like, fuck you, bro. Like, yeah. seriously. Like, it's um, so funny. Because you, uh, think about it. you feel his frustration. And as he walks off, Jay's still just a jerk and say it, don't spray it. Yeah, but it's so funny because he says it under his breath and after he walks away because it's like, he's embarrassed. And, um, something, like, I knew that soundbite, weirdly enough, before I had even seen the movie, because, um, in the early days of YouTube, back when, like, YouTube editing and YouTube poops were, like, really primitive, like, there would be these certain soundbites, like, it would be something as stupid as, hey, we're gonna take, like, a Spongebob episode and, like, fill it with curses, haha, <laughs> it's such a, like, you know, it's very immature, but they would use the fucking, you don't fuck! They would use that sound effect so many times that it's one of those moments that when I first saw it in 
you, you know when you find the source of something you've heard for so long, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it made the moment even funnier for me. Because, like, I had no idea that was Kevin Smith's voice. Uh, another sound effect they always use a lot, too, is uh, when Bob is trying to, like, sign language. Uh, uh, you got to take a shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So now they get to Hollywood. This is it. We've entered, I guess, this would be the final act, reaching towards the climax of... Uh, this adventure. They finally get uh, to Hollywood. And I love this bit where it's the moment they enter Hollywood, they meet a couple of fellow drug dealers. Yeah. They meet, like, the the Cali inversion of them, uh, played by Tracy Morgan. And I'm not sure who the other guy, the, the Silent Bob clone is. Yeah, I don't but know either. You have the, the crack dealers and the weed dealers, uh explaining, like, where they've been coming from and stuff like that. And I just love how there's also this running gag where Jay has to explain everything that's been going on thus far, and, and the other person responds, I don't know what the fuck you just said, but, you know, I'm, I'm down with it. Yeah, and I like the way uh, Jay um, explains what's going on, because he's mentioning people and things that the person he's talking to has no fucking clue who these people are. So it's like, why are you telling me all this unneeded, unnecessary details. And calling them, like, I don't know if he uses the boo-boo kitty fucking nickname, but it's like, he already doesn't know these people, and you're also referring to them in a way that he would have no, it's like, and we also got, no, I think he says, we gotta get my dead ex's monkey back, or something like that. Yeah. Man, I don't know what the fuck you just said, but you touched me. And, so, we get... A funny little E broadcast talking about Jay and Bob and how they're on the run. And they cut to, I keep forgetting who this lady is, this reporter lady. And she's in front of the Miramax. Uh, it said in the credits that her last name was Asner, so I'm not sure if she's related to you know, Ed Asner or anything like that, or she could just be some random actor. I have no idea. On this one, I'm completely off the pulse on who this actress is, but I remember in the credits, she, like, her last name was Asner, so possible connection. I could be wrong. But I like it when she reads out, because they had found the, his little comment on the website, and she's like, we will make you eat our expletive deleted, you know, and she just keeps saying that over and over again. It's, it is hard to fucking say uh, that many times. Do what? Real tongue twister. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, yeah, I give, I give a lot of props to the actress for, like, spouting that off as fast as she did because it is quite a tongue twister sometimes to repeatedly say expletive deleted. Oh, yeah, and while this is going on, you got Jay and Silent Bob in the background, and they're talking about nobody really knows what they look like, and they're in the damn background making faces and shit, and uh, so that cuts, and so they see that security's letting certain people pass, and they're like, we gotta be smooth about this. And then they just run through. <laughs> we also have the moment that while they're on TV, of course, Justice is like, whoa, she falls out of her seat. And then we cut to Holden back at home. Yeah! 
he said something like, oh, I wish I was still dating a lesbian right now or something like that. Yeah, it was like, it's times like these, I wish I was still dating a lesbian. And fun little reference. Uh, and what do you call it? So you get a fun Hollywood chase scene, or, or Hollywood lot chase scene. I love it when they fucking run into the backdrop and <laughs> yeah. all Wiley Coyote yeah. style. Yeah, it's total Looney Tunes. Uh, like you said, go, like definitely wearing that cartoon influence on their sleeves for this one. Yeah, and um, he's like, man, Hollywood is so fake. And again, nowadays, I think about a movie nowadays, right, that it's like they're on the Miramax set, and there is a lot of references. Like, to Miramax different. movies. One, one thing, when I, when I mentioned to you that I saw shit I never noticed before, the fucking Reservoir Dogs are walking uh, <laughs> from set to set, and one, the dude's fucking bleeding and shit, I'm like, hell to the gnaw. Yeah, they're shooting fucking Reservoir Dogs on one set, they're shooting uh, Daredevil on the other. But I also like how it's like, again, you know, if you're not looking in the background, you wouldn't notice it. Whereas nowadays, you know, with how movies are so built on nostalgia, it's like they would have probably taken a moment to let you see these characters more if it were made like, like you know, nowadays, 20 years later. You know, we probably have a moment where it's like, oh, we're really focusing on Daredevil and there are the Reservoir. It would be more like Space Jam and New Legacy, you know what I mean? So I yeah. like how it's more of like a Where's Waldo, where it's like, hey, if you see it, you see it, if you don't, you don't. Exactly. Because um, the giggles I got just seeing fucking, like, it's the cheapest Party City Daredevil suit. And it sticks out like a sore thumb, and he's just doing, like, backflips or something like that. Like, he's just evading the madness. Um, I'm trying to think of what other references were in the background, because I do remember the Reservoir Dogs. Um... Of course, there's the more blatant scream reference as they go along. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go in chronological order here. So the first spot that they they bust into is fucking Goodwill Hunting Two, <coughs> hunting season, and I love Gus Van Zant just sitting there counting his fucking money. <laughs> and He's like, yeah, what's up? Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and the conversation between Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Uh, I like it when it's like, oh, oh, so they mention, yeah, the, the guy, the, the security guard is calling in Jay and Silent Bob, and they mention a so-and-so whatever code, they're like, oh, that, no, that's, that's for whenever there's a dead hooker in Ben Affleck's trailer, and, uh, so, before this happens is when they try to convince the, uh, the security guard to watch them jack up, or suck Bob sucked Jay's dick while he jacks off and watches. And yeah, we have the uh, the Diedrich Bader appearance where he's like, and when you're finished, I want you to say, my, what a lovely tea party. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they knock him out and start running. But I like it when Jay's like, you were gonna do it, weren't you? And he's like, nuh-uh. And then Jay walks away and he kind of like nods like, maybe. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I was. <laughs> um, but so they get to they get to damn Goodwill Hunting too. There's a moment in the Goodwill Hunting two um, scene that I always reference whenever I have to like act on my friend's film 
or like whenever I have to do like an on-screen appearance at all before the tape goes, I'm always like, lion face, ah, lemon face, mm. Yeah. Oh. Now this is surprising though that it's like I, I don't think I've ever seen I, I've caught it on TV a couple of times but I've never actually watched Good Will Hunting in full. Yeah, neither have I. Because I already find the scene really funny. I want and I do get some of the scenes that they're you know poking fun of, but you know it is something I've wondered for a long time. Where it's like I should probably sit down and watch this movie and this scene will probably be even ten times more hilarious. Yeah, and I like it when he says you're just not that good. Will hunting. Yeah. <laughs> they have to give a little high five. Uh, and none of them are, like, I'm assuming none of them are acting the way they normally, because Ben Affleck's being a complete fucking goofball. Yeah, Ben Affleck uh, is definitely being a hardcore asshole Hollywood guy. And this is where we get that sort of, like I said, there was the uh, moment in Mallrats where you've got the clerk's hat in this, you have, uh, when they're bitching about the certain types of movies that they are playing in, uh, Matt Damon says, first you dragged me into Dogma, and then now this? So it's like, now they're kind of referencing Dogma as if it's just a film in this universe as well. But I believe it's just more like a uh, on-the-fly kind of gag. Yeah, it's not supposed to be thought of super deep, but it's like, if you do want to overthink it, it's like, well... There you go. You know, who knows? But, um, yeah, this whole scene is pretty good. And then they, we bring back the Phantoms because they have to run out really. Yeah, because I love this when the guy's like, how do you like them apples? And he's like, I don't really like them apples. And he gets the fucking shotgun and fucking blows the dude away. And he's like, applesauce, bitch. <laughs> That's great. I, like, I've always wanted a t-shirt, applesauce, bitch. But again... That was that moment where I'm like, you know, I should probably see this movie if uh, if I'm referencing the parody of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, but yeah. So you get the yo, Ben. You were the you were the bomb in Phantoms, yo. And I like it when they're like, oh yeah, so and so, whatever code. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, there was no hooker in my trailer last night. But, Whenever he could, like, just taking the jabs at Ben Affleck and roping Matt Damon along with it. Because it's true, Damon, like, I think it's just, well, now, of course, reboot, but, like, yeah, Damon was never a Kevin Smith mainstay like uh, like Ben Affleck was. Um, so it is cool that he's able to get him in on these appearances and stuff like that, because it also just, what I've been thinking about is that, what I've been thinking about is, um, all the controversy that kind of went around at that time of Goodwill Hunting, that there was always that question of like, well, who really wrote the movie? You know what I mean? Um, especially when Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were first being figured out and being, you know, you know, um, discovered as these Hollywood actors and stuff like that, there was always that running joke, uh, running joke in a lot of uh, different media at the time, where it's like, yeah, come on, we know you didn't write that movie. We know there was a big rumor going around that Kevin Smith ghostwritten um, until he shot down those rumors and stuff like that. So it is a very interesting time in not only just Kevin Smith's career, but that whole world of people. Yeah. 
Um, but what's the other set? Like, is it from there they go on the screen set? Oh, uh, before we get to the next scene, let me take a piss. Gotcha. I gotta take a piss as well, too. Right on. We are back from the piss break, and so I, you know, I think it is uh, the scream um, bit after this uh, because they run run in and uh, they're making a new scream movie. And what's so weird to me is the fact that uh, in James Silent Bob Strike Back we get. Wes Craven making a new scream, and strangely enough, in Wes Craven's Scream 3, we get this random ass out of nowhere Jay Silent Bob cameo. I had heard about that. I, I remember when we did the Scream episode that I said that, like, that was really my first time dipping into the Scream world, so it's like I didn't even really know about that until much later. Yeah, it makes no sense at all in, in Scream 3. At all. Uh, it kind of makes Scream 3 like part of the universe, but not really, you know what I mean? It just kind of weirdly sticks out. Yeah, it throws down this weird, um, this weird St. Elsewhere kind of connection where, so the events of Scream are technically happening, uh, while the events of uh, the universe are happening in the same universe, but at the same time in the universe, Scream is a movie. So then, would you think that they're not really making? If this is in the Scream universe, this, is this isn't Scream that they're making. It's a new stab movie that they're making. They. They've walked in on the uh, the set of a new stab movie. It also makes sense too because it's like it's not like a Nev Campbell cameo or anything like that. Like it's not Sydney revealing like oh let's see who the killer is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's Shannon Doherty. Yeah, it's you know which you know it seems kind of weird, right? That we're going for the Scream reference. We have the Wes Craven cameo, but we're also going kind of like a Mallrats reference as well that's like hey Shannon Doherty's back it's like I know Shannon Doherty's an actress and she's not just attached to mall rats but you get what I mean it's like obviously she's back because she's part of the Kevin Smith uh, lexicon in a way yeah you know what I mean definitely um fucking Miramax cut yeah <laughs> and he's like what audiences love monkeys and then you get one of my favorite bits uh when they get thrown in the room with uh, James Vanderbeek and uh, Jason Biggs, and oh, you're the pie fucker, and he's like pissed off. He's like, see, fucking, that's all I'm ever gonna be. Nobody says, hey, you were great and loser. Um, and fucking James Vanderbeek is just like, well, dude, you fucked a pie. What'd you expect? And then he's like, oh, you're the Dawson. Hey man, how's Pacey gonna steal Joey chick from you, man? And I fucking I love the shit out of that. And it's like you wouldn't expect Jay to be a Dawson's Creek fan. He's like, you actually watch that show? He's like, yeah, man, for Joey, man. And I never made this connection before, but so we went from a Scream reference to a Dawson's Creek reference. Kevin Williamson. We're still yeah, we're towing that line of the Kevin Williamson. Uh, Kevin slash Kevin Smith universe connection. Yeah, weirdly enough, straight it's up. Like this, 
this weird anomaly in space and time where these two timelines are somewhat like interspersing with each other but also breaking out of the fabric of reality yeah and so I like the (laughs) say what there's like a cooler sci-fi movie within this weird like non-traversy mm-hmm and so I like that uh, you know James Vanderbeek is uh, is about to tell a story about him and either uh, oh God Katie Holmes basically he's like well there was this one time and uh, I can't remember what distracts him from it but uh, <clears throat> they start arguing and fucking Jason Biggs calls him uh, Pacey and with as Jay and Bob start to huddle and he's like man why are they huddling all gay like that yeah and he's like well what are you talking about why is everything gotta be gay with you man this is gay that's gay and he's like well it's just a gay huddle and uh he's, he's, he's got it. you see what I mean um there's also a great moment that Jason Biggs says um cause he can't keep up with the names he's like oh yeah I'm Silent Bill and uh yeah Jason plays Ray and he's like, dude, did you read the script at all? And Jason Biggs is so baffled by the idea of this movie having a script that, like, he can't let it go. James Vanderbeek's, like, talking all over the map about all the different problems he has with Jason Biggs. But he's like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. This thing was written? There's a script? Yeah. <laughs> and so I love that moment. Um, the monkey kind of takes them out for Jay and Silent Bob because they're too busy, like trying to figure out what to do yeah and so what i like is so with uh with biggs always getting the names wrong he calls dawson pacey and (laughs) in the background you hear fucking james Vanderbeek say something like uh well you could at least call me by the right character i didn't even notice that little bit of background banter so again it's like it's very i don't want to use the word layered but again it's like it's very aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just meta as fuck. Meta as a motherfucker. For people listening along, by the way, take a shot whenever I say you know what I mean, or take a shot when I mention self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, it's been a good time by the end of this cast. Yeah, so they get, uh, they get, uh, fucking, you know, they get knocked out by the monkey, and the, uh, security guards banging on the door, uh, we heard that they came running in here, and uh, fucking Jay's like, no, no, we beat those guys' asses. <laughs> and but so, don't come in here because uh, we're naked. Yeah, we're naked. We're butt naked in front of each other. Uh, okay, then. <laughs> just like, we'll just wait here until you guys are Yeah, and so, boom, it's time to be on set. They throw on the Blunt Man and Chronic gear. And we, I've always loved the blunt man hat, that it's just the backwards uh, Silent Bob cap, but the bad ears are just too funny. Yeah, the bad ears are hilarious. I like how um, how Chronic, I believe Jay is the Chronic, his costume is basically a joint. He's basically just a giant wrap, yeah. Yeah, he's just a giant joint, and... Uh, so they get on set, and then you have goddamn uh, 
fucking Chris Rock as Shaka Luka King, or Shaka, Shaka Luther King, and it is some of the funniest fucking shit that's coming out of his mouth when he is just belittling Jamie Kennedy. Um, it's like, God, another man. Cameo, huh? Another, another cameo, by the way, and yet again, another one from the screen world. I know he's not playing his screen character, of course, but... But yeah, another another Miramax uh, connection, another Kevin Williamson connection. Um, uh, taste the coffee, taste that booger flavor. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It's so, it, it is so like, damn, what a hostile-ass environment to be working yeah, under. I want, I want a blonde-haired white boy to clean it up just so I can enjoy it. Yeah, he's like, I bet your daddy, I bet you it kills him that you give a blank his coffee. God damn. Oh my god. The other guy, yeah, G, uh, another guy comes with another coffee. He's like, crack it, crack it, crack His cracker uh, senses go off. Yeah. Oh. Um, I think it's Sesame Street. I was going to call it NWP. Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's Inwards with puppets, like, god damn. It's like, you are an angry man. I think George Lucas is going to sue some. I love the one moment where um, the production assistant agrees with him and he just immediately silences him back into his place. Yeah, he's like, damn, this movie going to make hard House Party look like House Party 2 or House Party 3. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> But yeah, so the movie begins, and uh, boom, Mark Hamill comes out, Luke Skywalker himself comes out as Cockknocker, and uh... It's like unapologetically just his Joker voice. Yeah, very, very similar to the Joker voice, and uh, I like the, uh, hey kids, it's Mark Hamill. Um, <laughs> and so they're fighting, and they're, they're kicking ass, and uh, he's like, what? He's like, why did they call you Cockknocker? Well, there's a really funny story behind it. And boom, punches him in the balls with his giant hand. And so you get this cool ass fucking fight. Then you get uh, you get uh, Silent Bob's uh, Jedi Jedi uh, Jedi powers trick, and uh, a cool cool damn fight scene. And funnily enough, like you get shit in there. Well, okay, never mind. Yes, yeah, so this is two hour, two years after Phantom Menace, so it's definitely ripping on Phantom Menace, especially with the double saber. Uh, and uh, but it's still not as like over the top as parodies of the prequels go. Like especially since not all the movies were out yet, a lot of the parody of the fight scenes in that like still haven't been, you know, completely like run dry yet. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Like, they really only one gag where Mark Hamill does, like, an unrealistic, like, wire work flip. Mm -hmm. Or it might have been Chase. Like, one of them does a crazy big jump, and that's kind of, like, the only reference. Yeah, he says, he says, you're not going to upstage me, Vanderbeek. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... I like it when he turns part of the lightsaber off, and then he fucking smokes out of it. That's great. Yeah, he blows out the smoke out of the side of his mouth. Um... I think another thing I really like about it is that it's such a clever way, of course it's like dumb stoner humor, but it's a clever way of getting around 
the lightsaber like copyright basically where it's like you can still reference it but it's a whole new it's a bomb saber you know what i mean like mark hamill's lightsaber is basically just a giant cock yeah and i like how when when mark hamill's lightsaber comes out it's just a flopping dildo yeah, it makes a little, like, and it, they make different noises, too, when they whir and buzz and stuff like that, so it's completely, like, it's right in the fair use game, you know? Yeah, yeah, v- very much like the Schwartz. Very, like, very much. Yeah. But then when his arm, Chaka, can I get a cut here? When he gets his fucking hand cut off, the, the little dildo saber, like, spurts out a little... Like fucking climax. Yeah, yeah, and then he says, "Not again." That's I really do love the design of both those sabers, though. Yeah. Um, really funny sight gag. Not again. Yeah, another fourth wall break, and then he's like, "You know what? I'm out of this. I quit." Yeah, if you need me, I'll be in my trailer. So this is where everyone comes in. The Marshall comes in, the Justice shows up, and then the other girls show up. Everyone just meets right here, and we have a big old shootout. And I love it when Will and Holly start shooting, because he is backing up, and he's shooting everywhere, and he's going, shit, 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 shit. And it's like, damn, that dude is going to fucking accidentally kill somebody. Which, you know, he actually does with Booby. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he busts up in there and he fucking shoots Booby in the goddamn stomach. Yeah, you're right. Clear through the fucking stomach and he's like, I, I think I'm on the wrong set. Before that, he does, like, the most pathetic, like, jump over a car windshield. Oh, yeah, dude, that was hilarious. Fuck. That's such a good, that's such a good like, young Will Ferrell moment because it's like, that's kind of... That's the kind of humor that you come to know of him later on in his career. Yeah, where he's trying to be so cool, but failing at it. Failing. So he kills Mubi. And another thing I love about the shootout scene once he's in the Blunt Man and Chronic set is there's that moment where they have him behind behind cover, basically. And he jumps out and starts shooting again. And just the faces, the mugging that Will Ferrell is doing kills me every time. His eyes are squinting. He's not even looking. He's... These, these kindergarten faces, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so this is also where we have Banky Edwards uh, shows back up. And uh, so during the shootout, um, Jay's trying to get it across Banky about how he owes him money. And then Kevin comes out there and starts talking all these copyright laws and stuff. And all this just smart as hell, and I love it when Kevin, uh, when when Bob is finished talking, Jay's just like, yeah. Yep, Dad, I knew everything he just said. <laughs> and, uh, fucking... And it's a rare moment where Bob gets, like, because like I said, it's usually, like, one moment, like, you're lucky if you have two moments of him speaking, but, like, this is a fairly, this is the second moment he's opened his mouth, and it's, like, a fairly big piece of dialogue, you know I mean? That kind of just ends the whole conflict between him and Banky. That's what they basically came there to do the whole time, minus the shooting. Yeah. And, uh... Um, all going on while all hell is breaking loose. But, yeah, you know, Banky gets put in this place. Um, fucking Justice and 
the main leader girl of get they, I don't know if it's Chris Missy or whatever, but they have like a a, a kung fu fight. Yeah, and it's great because it's like, well, I'll just def- I'll just counter it with my crouching tiger, and then it's like, well, how about some bitch, my man, ain't your baby's daddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, they start cat fighting and. What a lame, uh, like, she she falls on the other girls and all three of them get knocked out. Yeah, they do that one final thing where it's like, oh, she's about to get up, uh, she's gone. Uh, and then they're all taken care of and sent off to jail, and, uh, what's it called, but Justice is, like, willingly, because she's in love with Jay, you know what I mean, so she willingly takes the cups and stuff like that. And yeah. Bring me up with the officer. And gives the diamonds back, and, oh. Um, so, this movie kind of has, like, three endings. Because yeah. it, it, like, in technically this is where it should end. Because, like, if I go to prison, would you wait on me? Would you fuck me when when we get out? No, no, no. So, like, the movie, any other movie would end right here. But no, we got to have, we got to have some more great re- uh, references and cameos. So now everybody's done watching the Blunt Man and Chronic movie. And you have Steve Dave coming out there and talking yep. shit. And you've got fucking, um... Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, Joey Lauren Adams coming out. And they're well, like... She's talking to uh, the other the other chick from Mallrats, who was um, the one with uh, Ben Affleck's other character. The guy who likes to do it in the ass. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Talking. The same character from all that. In the background, you have Scott Mosier as Willem Black because he's looking up at the fucking uh, Blunt Man Chronic Bus. He goes, "That's beautiful, man." Yeah, yeah. And which so, he's also in the movie four at the Miramax set, but of course, you know, this is him reprising that role from Clerks. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a Kevin Smith movie if you had if you didn't have multiple Scott Mosiers. And so. Uh, Joy Lauren Adams is talking about, you know, what, what if they made a movie about you and your relationship with Holden? And she's like, that'll never work as a, as a movie. So another little yeah. funny uh, meta reference. Uh, and then, is it Brody and, um, or is it Banky and uh, the guy from Chasing Amy? I always forget his name. It would make more sense that it's Banky, and it's just great to see him again, bro. Yeah. The casing Amy because he never he hasn't lost a beat with the goddamn uh, with just the snarkiness and the sassiness and stuff like that. It's like you're right back into their world. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, like I can't believe I forgot this character's name. Let's, uh, let's take a quick look here. Hooper X. Yeah. White. Yeah, Hooper X. So it's great to see him, you know, even if it's just for but a brief moment. Um, they have a great little interaction together. Um, who else shows up? I know they have Marshall, Will and Holly, and Justice. She's all in the chains and stuff like that, that she was able to go see the movie. Um, I think Dante and Randall walk out as well, but they don't have, like, they have, like, one quick little exchange. Yeah, 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 because Randall says that was the worst thing since Clash of the Titans or... Something like that. Yeah. Like, Dante complains about something, some way they represented him or something like that. Oh, yeah, I can't believe they had Judy Ditch play me. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god, that's what it was. And then, boom, ending number three. Uh, hey, you guys, Morris Day and the motherfucking Times playing across the street. So we get a cool goddamn, we get Morris Day up there. They're all playing uh, the OEOEO Jungle Love. And uh, it's such that's a cool. Comedy of this time will have a pop song playing while we, uh, we round off all the names. Yeah, we round off all the names, all the cameos, credits roll, like, I mean, it's a big old dance party, big old dance party. Everyone gets up there, starts doing the, uh, the Jungle Love dance, and, uh, it's what a kick-ass song, though. Kick-ass song all the way. Um, and, oh, no, no, but before this, before this, this movie has, like, four endings, because any other movie... It would end and even show credits during the kick-ass montage when they they take their money and they fly to all the kids that they and whoop their asses. That's true. That happens right before the movie. I, I think is that after? I think it's yeah before the movie premieres. Yeah. And uh, what I find interesting about the scene, I'm glad you brought it up because we have. Jason Lee's first character from Mallrats sending them on this journey at the beginning of the movie. And then to wrap things up, we end on Banky, uh, Jason Lee's other character, sending them off on this kind of closing mission where they go around to beat all the haters. Yeah. And I like that Stroke Nine song. How many people want to kick some ass? I do, I do. What a great way to end on it. And again, such a petty thing that, like, most of these people that he's knocking on the door, they're little kids. They're spending, yeah. all, they're spending all the money they just worked super hard to get on plane tickets. Just to beat up some kids. Just to beat up kids. And there's one office guy who's just, like, he holds them off for a second and he's having this really ridiculous fall. Yeah, he's Yep. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> And they finally start choking with cord. <laughs> but yeah, so it ends on the big jungle love dance party. And, and um, what, what would it be? Like, it wouldn't be a bloody comedy if it didn't end on a freeze frame. Yeah. But it's technically not the ending, though, because you sit through some credits and we have, like, what was meant to be, like, the true, true ending to the universe. That, um, we cut to Alanis Morissette as God. Like, this is the very, it's like one of the first examples, aside from, like, Ferris Bueller. Like, it's one of the few examples in my mind of, like, oh, this is like a post, a Marvel post-credit sequence. Um, you wait through all the, all the trailers and all the, the, the credits, and it's just Alanis Morissette um, prancing around as her character from Dogma, as God, and there's a giant book that just says the universe, and she closes it, and then it cuts to black. Yep. Because this was supposed to be the final one. That was supposed to be it, but, you know, lo and behold, Kevin Smith's career didn't really go the way that he thought it was going to go at the time. It doesn't, you know, it happens. Um, yeah. And sometimes... I'm pretty sure that's what he pulled the documentary to uh, Clerks to is uh, Back to the Well. So, Which is funny, weirdly enough, this is going to be a weird connection to a lot of people, 
But uh, around the same time, all right, the group Insane Clown Posse, they kind of did the same thing. Because when they were coming out, it was about these six albums they were going to drop, and each one was a Joker's card, and the, the sixth and final Joker's card was supposed to be the ending of the saga, and after that, and that album dropped in 2002. Well, after that, they did a couple EPs and then an album that didn't really have anything to do with their Joker's Card Carnival saga. Well, it wasn't all it wasn't all that well received. So guess what? They're back on a new set of Joker's Cards and just sticking with what they know works. And it's kind of weird to me that, like, that's kind of like what Kevin Smith wound up doing, too. And it's a point, a lot of people use it as a point of criticism, but for me, it's exactly what I just said. They're like, hey, man, it happens. And it's like, again, I haven't seen Jersey Girl yet, but that's the thing. It's like, I know it's not going to be my favorite thing in the world, and I do want to respect where Kevin was coming from at that time, but it is kind of this thing where it's like he does realize kind of where his bread and butter lies nowadays and i was one of the few defenders of tusk when it came out yoga hoser is not so much but tusk i really enjoyed but if moose jaws happens the way that he says it's going to happen then it's just going to become another part of the Ask universe anyway so yeah i mean hell technically it already is because in reboot um his wife is playing the mother of his daughter's character from Yoga Hosers. So he throws, he basically puts his horror universe into the Askew universe and, um, god dang, what's that guy's name who was in Tusk and, uh... Justin Long. Yeah, Justin Long. Justin Long's lawyer character in, um... Reboot oh, yeah. is he the same character from Zack and Miri. Yeah, and so yeah. he's throwing that into the same universe as well, just kind of retroactively fitting them into this universe very subtly, very subtly, without without saying because he didn't even say Justin Long's character's name because I guess he couldn't. Well, it's something like that, but um. Fuck, what was I about to say? Yeah, he does show up in Reboot. Um, and th this is what I was going to say. Usually Kevin Smith's scripts change around a lot. I remember the first time I saw him do a live show, he had shared like part of his script from um, Reboot at the time. And the scene that he read, it's like it's in the movie. It's the Brody uh, and Jane, uh, Bob scene. But it was at first incredibly, incredibly different than how it actually turned out in Reboot, where Reboot, the gag is that they're just repeating the scene over again. There was going to be at least a little something different to the whole setup. Uh, the same thing, I guess, goes with Moose Jaws, that it was going to, like, not even just a couple of side references here and there. It was going to straight up have Jay and Silent Bob in it, basically filling in the Quint role. Yeah, Bob would have been Quint... And it would have made sense because you could see Silent Bob saying that exact same uh, dialogue of the whole shark 
It's got dead eyes. But it also makes you question, it's like, would this be the... They, there's no way they, he could actually kill off Jane Silent Bob, but it's like, if they're both filling in the quint role, it's like, they're at least going to get eaten. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's going to be crazy. If this movie ever gets made, and then I know that he wanted Genesis Rodriguez's character from Tusk to be kind of like the Richard Dreyfus character, where it's like, oh, I've dealt with stuff like this before, you know what I mean? But, yeah. So it's an interesting premise. I don't... You know, at this point, we have Clerks 3 in the making. He has that script for Mallrats 2 where he's gone back and forth like, oh, it's going to be a movie. Oh, it's going to be a show. Oh, it's going to be a movie. Yeah, I'm actually disappointed that that didn't happen because he went so hardcore getting everyone back on board. For Mallrats, yeah. And then what's it called? I think it's just because I think it was a race to see which got picked up first. Like, Reboot, he kind of willed into existence after the heart attack. He just felt like... This is what he needs to do. Clerks 3, like, even before Tusk, like, he's been sitting on and rewriting for years. He does, like, these live shows where it's like, oh, the official Clerks 3 script reading. But again, it's probably that thing where it's like, the script he probably read is probably ten times different from the movie we're going to end up getting at this point. Um, Mall Rats was going to be called Mall for Rats. Yeah. It's going to be a TV show. It's going to be, like, fucking die hard in a mall which I hate to break it to Kevin Smith but that movie already exists it's called Paul Blart Mall Cop uh, not that it's a good movie but it's basically die hard in a mall so yeah it, it was pretty interesting because I remember he was do also doing like casting calls for fans that's like hey we want to film uh, a scene of Mallrats 2 at this Comic-Con or something like that, so come on down and you could be in the movie and stuff like that. Nothing really, as far as my knowledge, nothing really came of that. So I think once, you know, Reboot happened and then Clerks 3 is now, of course, I think it's officially picked up again. I think that's going to be his next thing. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know when Moose Jaws is going to come out. I hope I, it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. Because when I had heard, this was like 2015... When I heard that Jay and Bob would have been the Quint characters, uh, I was like, I was like, if you fucking kill Silent Bob, I will be With fucking pissed. No less. With a moose, no less. They've met God, and he's gonna die from a killer moose. Yeah, that would be fucking bullshit, and I would be pissed off. But uh, I, I mean, because again, it's like I want to support Kevin, and there is kind of like in a lot of filmmakers, you know what I mean. You see it with a lot of these big idea people where it's like the movies may not necessarily be good, but it's like I like the creativity. I like where you're going with this. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm kind of of two minds about Moose Jaws because when Tusk came out, I was a big fan of it, and then I was kind of championing, hey, let's give Yoga Hosers a chance. You know what I mean? Like I know they're weirder, but let's, you know, real, let's see what Kevin had. But after seeing Yoga Hosers, yeah, I'm kind of here or there. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, and I know he still wears like the Moose Jaws with like fucking hockey jerseys out wherever he goes. So I think it's still on the back burner, but like it's not something I'm necessarily like holding my breath for. And what he doesn't understand is we've already got technically a Moose Jaws, and it was Lion Jaws, but it was called Ghost in the Darkness. And I'm pretty sure there's another, like, there's another, like, deer movie called, like, Antlers or something like that that's already kind of did that concept. Um, but, yeah, we've pretty much reached the end of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. 
Yeah, that is the end of this one. The next episode will be Clerks 2. Clerks Dose. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that one because uh, there was a time I haven't watched it in a really long time. Yeah, I haven't seen it in ages. My life where I preferred it over the first one. And I'm not sure if I'll still hold that feeling, but it's not an uncommon opinion amongst some of the Kevin Smith fans. So it should be interesting to go back and... You know, give it a look see. Yeah, because I know I know that a lot of people are I either hate it or absolutely love it. But, you know, basement dwellers, let us know what you think. You know, as soon as this thing is up, share your thoughts, share your reviews. I wanna know. What do you think about James Tom Bob Strike Back and what do you think about Clerks Two? And you know, also Give us suggestions if you want. You know what I mean? It's like we have some ideas on the back burner of, like, some retrospects we want to do afterwards and stuff like that. But it's like, if you guys have a movie that, like, you'd be curious in our thoughts, like, maybe it won't be a podcast episode. But we're always down the chat on the Facebook page about all kinds of things. Whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, throw suggestions down on a movie you might want us to, uh, to review and talk about. And, and like uh, I'm going to do my best to try to keep up with the Film Fridays and the Kaiju Corners and stuff like that. That's just kind of my way of spreading some stuff that I love your guys' way. And also, you know, if a new movie comes out and stuff like that, getting your guys' feedback. So, um, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to record these at a lot more of a frequent rate where we're not going on like... We were always kind of a start-stop basis, but yeah, this fucking pandemic, like, really, really threw us off guard. Like, it, it would have been crazy enough with your working and my, uh, you know, my wrapping up college, but it's like, on top of it, like, the whole world was shutting down. Um, yeah. So not fun. <laughs> yeah, and this year, I'm really hoping to do a whole lot more with, uh, with our YouTube channel and... The podcast and music videos. I'm really hoping to do a whole lot more this year. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember I was talking to you about that. That it's like even you know I've been coming up with some ideas for like music videos as well and stuff like that. And you know I really enjoyed your album. Yeah, um, thanks, dude. I, yeah, you know it's something I tend to go back and listen to a couple of times at work, and it's just you know it's just good old fashioned fucking music, bro. And it's something that kind of gets my creative juices flowing a little bit, so. I hope you guys stay tuned because the passion is definitely here and we really want to keep this pro to flow, you know, as best we possibly can now that things are kind of easing up a little bit and we're trying to find more time. You know, I still am in the process of moving out and stuff like that. So that's, of course, going to come with its own set of difficulties. But it's like it's exactly what I said. The passion is there. and It's like I'm still, you know, willing and ready to keep this fucking show strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hell yeah. Because it's a blast every time, you know, and we get, from the people who do watch it, we get amazing responses and feedback, so like, I just want to keep spreading the world. Yeah, true that. True that um, shit. Know, is there any uh, final ratings or final words that you would like to give Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? Uh, all in all, I would say it is, I think they handled the, uh, the universe references well, like you had said at the beginning, where you can, this can be a great entry point and a great point for veterans because um, 
it does a good job of introducing these characters to newcomers as well as reintroducing these characters to veterans uh, who are familiar with the world. Um, so you got, you, like you said, you can watch it as a newcomer and then watch the other ones and then come back to this and appreciate it a whole lot more. And um, you watch value. Yeah, a lot of heavy rewatch value. Even though, like, um, yeah, I will say some of the some of the jokes and some of the so a, a, a lot of it doesn't necessarily hold up all that well. But as far as other movies similar to this that came out around the same time, I think it holds up better than most of those. Um, I mean, I because it has that charm and that and that genuineness to it. You know, what I mean, it's like. It's like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that there's a lot of people who are trying to be the Kevin Smith clones. So you definitely feel that, like, hey, they're trying to be something that they're not kind of thing, where it's like, you know, when you have Kevin Smith sitting down, especially at this time, and it's like, you know, the scripts are going to be good. You know what I mean? There's going to be at least something interesting to chew on. And it's something that I responded to on one of the Facebook posts, where it's like, whether you're on the love it side of this movie or the hate it side, it's like you still could admit that this is still a time in Kevin Smith's career where the movie was memorable. Yeah. I mean, you still remember the movie. And that is damn sure right. And as far as the rating goes, uh, I, I, I can throw down an 8. I think that's fair. I've kind of, like, over time, just kind of thrown out ratings just because, you know, I could just talk about it and share my feelings to that. But I think an 8, 7 is, like, entirely fair. Um... You know, it would be interesting to hear what some of the other viewers think, uh, I guess, in terms of a rating, just because I bet there's a lot of people who would rate it a four or like a, or like five right down the middle, you know what I mean? But I would say it is an above average buddy comedy. And see, I got a buddy at work uh, that absolutely loves Clerks too, but fucking hates Strikes Back. And, um, and I, can see, I can see where he's coming from, but I, you know, I also disagree. And I've told him, because uh, I was like, you know, because he's excited for Clerks 3, but he hasn't watched Reboot yet. And I told him, I was like, well, if you didn't like Strikes Back, you're not going to like Reboot. Yeah. Again, uh, it's, that, it's that grounded versus that cartoony, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess that's what some of the people into Clerks 2, that's what some people's problem with that as well, is that it kind of blurs that line a little bit between here's the lived-in, you know, Kevin Smith, early Kevin Smith, clerk stuff versus here's like a dance sequence to the Jackson 5. Yeah, yeah, and me and me and him will talk about these movies all day, and Strikes Back is the only one that he doesn't like. So he can handle the half-cartooniness of Ball Rats, but is the complete cartooniness of Strikes Back, he's not in it. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's room for there's room for it all, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, um, I like them all. I don't dislike a single uh, one of these movies. That's what I'm saying. I think the word hatred, like, even the ones that I don't particularly like, like, I would say I don't think I'm the biggest fan of Reboot. It's been a while since I watched it, but I, you know, I could take it or leave it, but, like, I never walk out of it like, oh, I fucking hated that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait till we get to that one. We got two more episodes of the... Uh, Kevin Smith retro, and I'm really looking forward to getting into reboot. It will be fun. There is a lot to discuss. Um, 
especially seeing as how much to discuss with this movie there was, you know, it's, ba I don't want to call it a carbon copy of that movie, but it basically, it is the reboot, so. <laughs> yeah, but hell yeah. So, give us your thoughts, y'all. We gotta, we gotta sign off. Alright, dudes. Catch you guys later. I love you all. <laughs> yeah, y'all get ready to spoon some dunes. Spoon the dunes.